Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. What is up, G Money? How are you? It's good to see you. I'm doing good. Um, weather's looking good where I'm at, but I hear things are changing quite quickly in our in our little uh, hometown, San Gabriel Valley. Yeah, I think this is uh, as close to snowmageddon as we're going to get. This is, I think, supposed to be the the coldest weather event we've had in. I don't know if you listen to the news; it's a hundred years, but you know, probably since last year. You know, I'm burying the lead a little bit here, but we have some guests and we are just talking off air and uh, joking about how folks respond to rain and inclement weather in, in Southern California. I was also just thinking how we, you know, the news and the media tends to make up these sort of kind of crazy uh, descriptions for things too. I heard somebody on the on the news the other day called a snowmaker, the greatest snowmaker storm that we've seen in years. That doesn't exist. <laughs> They're just storms. Yeah, it is what it is. You know, it's it's cold, it's winter. Uh, we get we get some weather from time to time here in Southern California, but you just kind of alluded to, as you said, buried the lead, the fact that we are joined by not one but two guests. So why don't we respect their time? We'll curtail some of the the usual, you know, chit chat, uh, weather talk, etc., and just dive right in. So we are joined by fellow. I don't know if this is uh, this has been trademarked yet, but Watch Pod Alliance member Michael Spencer. Hey, Mike, from the Whiskey and Watches podcast and sometimes contributor at Fratello. So congratulations. It's cool to see more and more of your stuff there. And I then, appreciate uh, it. Yep, yep. And drum roll, please. Uh, TGN and Hodinky heavyweight, Mr. James Stacy. How are you, James? Hey, hey, good guys. to see you. Yeah, I'm good. You guys are making me feel right at home starting with the weather. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. All, all the best pods talk about weather. All right. So you got to start. You got to give some context. That's right. Yeah. Start. What is it? You know, it's, it's quality content right out the gate. Start as you mean mm-hmm. to continue. All right. So some background. Last year, Spence was kind enough to host a 2022 Formula One, like preseason shared episode kind of thing. And there was a number of guests on it, including uh, Josh Hanks from Oris and uh, Mr. Pandolfo of, well, how, what would you say Pandolfo's from? The opera, enthusiasm, the opera, all around good other guy. Things, yes. All around great guy. <laughs> exactly. Guy. So this year we at uh, Spirit of Time are doing the honors. James is a car guy and motorsport fan. So we figured he'd be a natural to come along and chat about something that's tangential to, but you know, still a bit outside of the usual fare at either TGN or uh, frankly, either of our pods, right? Spirit of Time or Whiskey and Watches. Uh, Greg is with us and he is kind of the perfect foil, right? In as much as he is part of that, and I'm putting this in air quotes, that newly reached demographic that Formula One is hoping to connect with here, especially in the USA. So thank you, Netflix. Um, that is our introduction. Greg, do you want to lead us into the wrist check, poor check? Yeah. Does that make me like the proverbial noob? Sort of. <laughs> it's kind of fun to be in that seat sometimes. So I'll, I'll take it. I like that. 
Um, as we are want to do, uh, anybody who's got a sort of poor check, uh, welcome to share that. And then, but we have to do a wrist check. Uh, we recorded a, an episode not too long ago, and I basically blew right through the wrist check, and Matt had to like throw up like the pause sign, and so uh, made sure to not not blow through this time. And uh, considering how many guests we have, we have to make sure we touch on what everybody's wearing. So, James, why don't you start? What's on the wrist? Yeah, I'm actually wearing kind of kind of the watch I wear most days uh, in the last little while. It's the the Mito that we did, uh, the Hodinki LE. So the Ocean Star, let me get the title right, Ocean Star GMT LE for Hodinki. And uh, I, I, I mean, I've talked about it a ton. I'm just kind of obsessed with it. I've got it on an Erica's LE, like one of the, uh, or the MN straps. And in in gray, it's just super comfortable. It, it does a great job as far as travel going. I have some travel coming up starting uh, day after tomorrow. And, uh, and so, you know, always, pretty much always wearing a GMT of some sort. Uh, but this one kind of scratches the itch in, in a special way these days. I've been enjoying it. It was nice to hear the last episode with, uh, with you and Jason on, from Roldorf talking about oh, it, which yeah. is really cool. It's nice to see sort of the two people connecting on, on the same watch. For sure. He's a gem. Spence, how about yourself? So I have, um, you know, I like to kind of theme the watch to to the episode. And since we're talking Formula One, I remember last year, I think we talked, I wore my Zenith El Primero. Um, weirdly, uh, a watch brand that I feel like is, should be right at home with um, racing, but for some reason isn't there yet, um, you know, from a, from a modern perspective. Although I guess they do sponsor the the um, uh, the Extreme E events now. Um, on the on the you know kind of more of the off roading uh, electric electric truck type of thing, but the brand I'm wearing is also not a Formula One sponsor. But when I think a Formula One, I think you know exotic materials, aerodynamics, you know exotic metals. So I have on my uh, Oris PPX 39 oh, with the steel it. dial. I you know this is the watch that when it came out last year. Oddly enough, a little bit of a confession to make here. I found out that this watch was coming out the last time we recorded Matt when we talked about Oh, that's about, right. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, we, so Josh was on. Josh we were kind of, you know how we do the pre-show and then there's kind of the post-show. Um, you had dropped off. Pandolfo had dropped off. And he sent me a, a mess. He's like, hey, you're going to see this tomorrow, but do you want to see it now? I'm sending you an email at 10 o'clock. And I was like, absolutely. And he showed me the picture of the three dial colors. And like, I was almost in tears. I was so excited about that watch because on one of our first episodes with VJ, we had the original PPX. We're like, man, if you just made this smaller... It would be killer. And he showed it to me as soon as we were done recording the 2022 Formula One uh, episode. So I was pretty stoked. So it's it's fitting to have this one on wrist for multiple reasons. Yeah, that watch looks like it comes out of the first stage, like compressor section of a jet engine. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. I love it. Such <laughs> yeah. a cool watch. Super cool. Well, hey, wait, just before we get too far ahead of ourselves, um, Mike, we'll come right back to you. But James, did you, did I catch you uh, sipping a little something? Do you have something in the glass? Yeah, I figured, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta play to the strengths of the episode and that kind of thing. I, you know, it's, it's not anything flashy. I'm, I'm drinking some Buffalo Trace. I, uh, I've been curtailing my intake for the last little while. And I, I had a bottle of uh, Mitchters, which I enjoyed. It's, it's tough to get like legit, gent, like when I say legit, like capital L legit bourbon in Canada, especially because of the popularity south of the border so much higher now and so you're it's not like i'm i'm you know as much as i'd love to be saying that you know i've got a, a glass of willet or something going uh buffalo trace is a little bit more accessible here and i enjoy it you know it's it's nice especially if i'm sitting in, and it's not barrel strength as i as i'm on a mic <laughs> yeah, i mean if, if you have decent access to buffalo trace consider yourself lucky because right here in cincinnati i'm just across the border from kentucky where it's made and it 
I have to go to Northern Indiana in my hometown to get it. Usually, I can't oh, really? find it okay. here. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I need to stop complaining about the Canadian. <laughs> it's an excellent choice, though. I like it. I like it quite a bit. I, I, I'm not that picky. Uh, you know, I, if, if when I when I learn stuff about bourbon, it's usually from uh, you know Johnny Lieberman or something like that. And then I see the number on the bottle and I go like, well, I know where I'm at with watches in terms of my interest. I'm maybe not there for something that I consume, uh, you know, while <laughs> while watching reruns of Portlandia or whatever. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm, I'm the few times that I've had a chance to drink something like truly, genuinely collector sort of special is great. But I, come on, like to sit around at home is it, and, and not be able to share like I'm, I'm, I'm drinking by myself or with you guys, but physically by myself that I feel like if it was anything more special, I'd want to be sharing it with somebody. Right. Absolutely. Fair. Yep. Yep. Well, how about you, Spence? What have you got? So I, uh, just ended a long work day and, um, haven't had a chance to go bust something out yet, but I'm a coffee drinker. So I'm going to give a shout out to my little local, uh, coffee place who, whenever they see my wife's car pull in, he just automatically starts pulling a macchiato for her and not like the, the, the basic, you know, macchiato that a lot of people get with a bunch of flavor, like the true macchiato style, like with, it's just the coffee and the milk and just the right layers. And, um, you know, he, she came in today and just grabbed it essentially from him and paid real quick. Like Zach already had it ready to go. So Luckman coffee just around the corner from my house. I have their Guatemalan Hua Hua Tenango blend, um, okay. which I may pay for later cause it's pretty strong, but I've got three little kids and I'm tired a lot. So <laughs> Um, that's what I've got in, in my, uh, in my little, in my little Yeti tumbler right now. Nice. Drink that's down, awesome. pay later. Yes. <laughs> with caffeine and with alcohol, depending that's on how much you use. It's true. Moderation. The older you get, the more you pay. Yes. Moderation is key. Moderation is <laughs> yep, key. Yep. Matt, how about yourself? All right. Well, uh, I could not decide, like, I also try to pair a watch for the significance of the episode when it, you know, makes sense. And Formula One, I'm thinking, okay, the obvious pick, I guess, is Richard Mill. But hey, my Richard Mill is in, is in the shop. I just feel bad. Yeah. You know what? Um, both of mine, I, I've got both of mine lent out and I just, you know, yeah. So, uh, okay. So I don't have a Richard Mill, but I, uh, I do <laughs> like a good GMT watch. So I wore, wore something that's kind of in honor of a mutual friend. Um, you know, our buddy, uh, uh, Mike from Zodiac, and I've got that Zodiac Super Seawolf. This is a long name, the Super Seawolf GMT World Timer. And this is just kind of a, a fun, special thing. So, you know, whenever I've got something like this on, it's, uh, I don't know, it's the sort of thing that evokes ideas of, of travel and whatnot. But I couldn't leave it there, and I'm double wristing. This is on the <laughs> other side. I've got the uh, the Tudor GMT, basically the subject of what I think is still the undefeated champion of week on the wrist videos. Sorry if I sound like I'm fangirling, <laughs> but it's it's one of one of the coolest watches, and I think basically the kind of the of all the stuff that Tudor makes, like the truest heir to you know the tool watch ethos that Rolex used to embody, right? And that's they're just they're just not that anymore. I think that this is as, as close as you get to a a GMT master in the modern era. So I've got two GMTs and I like in the, two, two great watches. Yeah. You know, it's, it's right. It's just fantastic stuff. And then, and, and anything that makes us think of Mike Pearson is going to make me smile. And then in the glass, I've got one of the last pints of the spirit of time. This is the uh, bourbon barrel aged Amber ale that we did for a get together that we hosted late last Super summer. Cool. Um, 
Greg, I almost don't want to ask this in case the question is no, but did we send any of those to James? Or did Jay ship it over the border? Yeah, I, I didn't really. I think I you're probably really, right. Yeah, attempt I mean, we didn't any ship to anybody. We didn't ship these to anybody. Is what I meant Perfect. to say. Nobody, nobody got these in the mail. <clears throat> but um, yeah, so that is what I have got uh, on the wrist and in the glass. And now, how about you, my friend? What's what's the story? Um, so I didn't play to the uh, episode um, theme uh, with the wrist check, but I am trying to pander to the crowd, and so hopefully it hits. So I've got this. Um, this little Seiko Kinetic Titanium Sports 100 watch. This is one of my first mechanical watches, and it is titanium and gold tone, two-tone. So I know this is going to hit a few people in the room. And I've also got it on this sort of olive drab green NATO with gold hardware. So I'm hoping that I'm hitting a lot of your guys' sort of uh, very specific interests and tastes in this. But uh, it's just a fun little watch. I've had it for... Oh my God, I don't even know, 21 years now. And, uh, and it's just fun to sort of give it some new life in, in sort of a different, you know. Oh, yeah, that's peach for sure. Gets me right in the feels. <laughs> well, I know, Greg, we've talked about this. The, the yeah. watch that my grandfather wears. That that's right. We're looking at trying to figure out there's, a, there's an issue with, I think, the uh, capacitor in it uh, might need to be replaced. But it's a, a fully loomed white dial version, very similar to that two-tone on a two-tone essentially titanium and, and gold bracelet just that's the watch that the, one of the first watches i've ever noticed in my life was that watch exactly i think about you every time i put it on and uh and matt's been sort of the champion of the green nato so james we've been threatening that if we ever rebrand you might see us come across as the green or the sage nato so sage NATO. I, wear, I wear green nato a lot i get it <laughs> yeah, go for it for sure it's a, a good color that is um james if you can't see that up close the cool thing about this watch and like everything that's old is new again or, or is cool again or touches back on something else that's cool when you look at this watch in its day it probably looks so pedestrian but now it totally reminds me of a cross between like a zin t-series diver so like you know the mm-hmm. t1 t2 or the seiko ashtray today Oh, the new yeah, ones that just came out so are cool. awesome. <laughs> those were so cool. We, we can do. We can do those. We can go that route if you want. We can talk. So that good. So a, good. That's a thirty-eight hundred dollars Zen diver. Yeah. Like don't worry. You, you. Everybody has to decide what titanium's worth. Um. But this is something I've harped on that like I don't think it's it. I don't think it's necessarily worth that much. But I really like that. Like the the gold bronze. It's up to you. The full gold bronze with the with the scraped up dial is so cool. It's but it's rad. also limited. I, I would just go for the standard one. But I don't know. You get like you. I'm not saying a Zin, Zin can't make a thirty eight hundred dollar watch or whatever at all. Like I, I think that they they're that's well within their their range. But I feel like that's what eight hundred dollars more than a U fifty. I think so. Yeah. That's a that's a, a percentage wise. That's a big percentage for a, like, like lar- largely a watch that's going to do a similar thing for people. I'm a sucker for sword hands, so maybe the 800 bucks could go just, just for that. Um, but then the U hands are dope too. It's tough. The, the, if, you don't, if you haven't seen these watches, the day we're recording these, uh, Zinn essentially dropped their novelties for spring, um, which are a couple of LEs that honestly, by the time this episode probably even comes out, even if it comes out quickly, will be sold. That's how Zinn... Especially U series LEs, they just disappear. But yep. there's three new expressions of the T series. So if you remember the T1, T2 from 
I don't know, guys, we said 2016, 2017. Yeah, probably about six or eight years at the most. And I think they they lasted. I know one one variant was nixed fairly quickly. And I think the other mm-hmm. one it also disappeared, you know, in the past maybe two to three years. I think that the U fifty was always gonna be its replacement. A pretty good. But this looks launch. like a cool a cool mashup, right? Between them. And and I think that they've like in terms of price and spec, they've really attempted to thread the needle between the two Pelagos between the 500 meter and the 39. Uh, so you get a date, which of course, if, if that's important to you, is a bit of a deal breaker for the 39. You get 500 meters water resistance, which if you're going to claim that's important to you, I'd love to know your lifestyle. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's not cooler to have 500 versus 200. That's not at all my point. But it's a little bit like the difference between having, say, 500 and 700 horsepower. Like, <laughs> we're all, we're all going to survive on, on the lower number. Um, it, it, it'll be all right. But yeah, the I, I think these are you know more really compelling product from Zinn. I'm just I'm interested to see if if this is a, a little bit of an early footnote of Zinn going the Seiko route of we're going to go a thousand dollars above where we've been for a while. It's worked out okay for Seiko, so I can't yeah. say it won't work for Zinn. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think that the higher end chronographs, right? They kind of made the move to the Le Jeu Paray. And, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but I don't know if I mentioned this, Greg. I mean, I know you know, but Spence, I don't know if I put this out on the group chat, but I had a friend traveling in uh, in Germany a few months ago, and he ordered a the uh, the one hundred three Ti Diapal for me. Mm. So that's you know that's going to probably take about four months to to get fulfilled, but that's one of those where you know that that is a little more expensive than the average bear from Zen. But I, yeah. I think that is kind of where they're creeping. I was just chatting point. to a buddy the other day. Um, I feel like they are rising in popularity. So if their price goes up, I get it. Also, like e- even since the U50 came out, things are more expensive. For all yeah. I know, titanium is more expensive. And also Tudor's operating in grade two. They're operating in grade five with Tegument. So if you don't like scratches, that's still a better bet than a Pelagos. My money, I'd like in my mind, the two millimeter difference which let's, let's face it, it's, it, it is just two millimeters. But if you were keyed into the idea of the P39, the Pelagos 39, I'm not sure that a 41 millimeter competitor really does it because it's so close at that point to the current Pelagos, which are not hard to find secondhand and they last forever. Some good watches though. Really yep. good. Really. We're really in sure. an era of titanium and I'm here for it. Yeah, it is. It's a good time for titanium. IWC, get get uh, get on the game. Come on, bring back GST stuff. Do some cool stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. That that would be. Yep. I think you know people are are hoping to see new engineers this year. But uh, well, speaking of IWC engineer and titanium, although I don't want to curtail the watch talk. I mean, I know we we have a mission here, but I'm like, <laughs> all depends That's... on if you got a time limit, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe maybe we we cut this episode in half. Mike, you get half, we'll get half. But um, exactly. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, so. I don't want to spend too much time, but the that upper end piece, I know that they it looked like they produced one that's basically the same form factor. And again, this is in this T series watch that they dropped today. One that is kind of like their their formula with the diver, where they've got some kind of a bezel treatment, like you know an alternate you know color mm-hmm. or you know tegument like the bezel or the SBR yeah, it's a exactly. Bezel. Yeah, so you know we noted right um, on the group chat this morning that the, the gold content is quite low. This is basically a true bronze with a little bit of gold mixed in. Yep. 
I presume will help with the, the, you know, the color stabilization or whatever. But Mike, what was your point? Like, okay, there's a lot less gold than the, the bronze gold Seamaster 300, but it's also oh, what, even, true. even at the high end of the Zen price scale, it's about what a third yeah, of this. It's about a third and the full all gold, the full all bronze or gold bronze. Cause it's not bronze gold. Um, cause I think that's what Omega calls theirs is bronze gold. So they had to call it gold bronze, which potato, potato, Market, I guess. Marketing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I joked on our group chat that at least it comes on a proper dive strap because that's always been my biggest complaint is that the Omega comes on a two stitch leather and it, 21 millimeters, you know, they just, and even the one with just the, the, the gold bronze, um, bezel, I think on that on that titanium bracelet looks fantastic. So I, I, you know, I don't know which one I would go for, but I think they look, they look really good. I mean, yes, it's interesting that Omega say it's, Hey, it's bronze gold, even though it's essentially nine carat gold. And, you know, for Zinn, it's, it's gold bronze, even though it's, you know, very, very low Mm -hmm. gold content. Um, gotta be curious to see how these age. I think it looks good. I love the way that it looks brushed. I mean, the the brushed uh, case and and bezel just look, it is phenomenal. Um, it's a really, it's a really nice move. And it's, I, I get it from a, from a move up market. It, it's, it seems like it, it could be a bit of a stretch, but I mean, we've seen that from brands, you know, we, we mentioned Seiko, I would say, and Oris is another one that with their, with their new movements the is moving into that yeah. is with the caliber 400s is moving to that price point too. Um, it'd just be interesting to see how these doing like James, to your point, I, I really think that that all gold bronze ones is gone. Like, by the time this drops, I would think so, but gone. but also with the 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 two versions of the U one that they announced today, I'm sure those are gone or close to. I mean, also like you guys exist in a world where only one company in the states sells in, right? And that's and right. I I know I know those guys; they're great guys. I think they do a nice business for Zen. It is a, still a weird way to approach the watch game, where sole distribution and price setting is through one person. That said, I don't really get the impression that they're messing up. Um, they, they get an allotment. So if there's 300, I have no idea how many they, they get. I get the impression that if Zinn could sell watches just in Frankfurt, they would. Just like the, just like the closest thing they can do to go two-tone is full matte and a tiny bit of gold. Uh, just the German perspective is, is so specific. And, and I think that they, they make watches, in their mind, I think they make watches for Germans, which is, is a perfectly good way of taking a great idea, like a car or a watch in this case and making it something that the rest of us all really want because it's made with specificity and, you know, advanced tooling and cool materials and, and a great design. And yeah, I, I think these will continue to be like desirable watches. The U50 holds its value pretty well, secondhand better. I would say if you were to index it, than most sins. And then if you get into LEs, good luck. It depends on the buyer. If the person buying it knows what the watch is, they'll pay you the price. Like, and I think that that's an interesting space for a brand like Zinn, which isn't a micro brand by any stretch, but also isn't what we would consider a major player against most. Like to compare Zinn to Omega is a little bit of a David and Goliath, right? I'm, I'm not saying in terms of quality. Well, in terms of movement, but that's not Zinn's problem. They, they buy movements from another provider. I feel like these days what you buy in Omega, a big piece of it is movement and warranty, mm-hmm. which do matter, especially the second part. We, I think, people in our position discredit the value of warranties to a buyer because none of us care. We, we wear the watch one time every two weeks or, or whatever. Okay. So really the wear and tear on the watch is lower. You never think about the warranty because maybe you won't even keep it for that long. Like some of these brands like Oris will go five, 10 years. Do you have a watch you've owned for 10 years? 
Maybe one or two? Yeah, one or two. Were you given it? Yeah. Did you go out and buy it, right? Like, like that's a long, that's a really long time in the life cycle of a watch enthusiast. And I think the warranty thing's interesting because, of course, Tudor has a higher warranty at five years. Um, and, and I think it, it, there's also, it, it's, it's a tough thing to talk about on a watch podcast or any watch podcast, but there is a big delta between folks who love watches and are enthusiastic about pretty much all watches that might suit their budget and people who go to a store and buy a watch and then move on for 30 years. Yeah, I think that's and that's all, where all Omega has a huge strength, yeah. but Zin less so currently, and that's not a detriment to Zin. They make an incredible watch. I have to say, you, hearing you say the word Omega is like music to my ears because I I listen to whiskey and watches religiously, and it's back and forth between Omega and Omega. Although I I heard I heard a, a third pronunciation. I, I allow the, the I allow some Canadian. Give me some 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 wiggle room for the Canadian. I don't pronounce <laughs> Pelagos correctly. I apologize. <laughs> At this point, like for years, I said Murcielago, um, and now it's Murcielago. Of course, like the the Spaniards finally corrected all of us, and someday I'll get to Pelagos. But um, <laughs> it doesn't even feel right leaving my mouth. So. <laughs> Well, the other day I heard somebody say, and it, it was, you know, some old kind of upper crust received pronunciation type Britisher. Um, and he pronounced Omega as Omega. So that's that, a new one. That, that big emphasis on the letter O. I Anyhow, feel that's like a, that's a, I only ever read it in a magazine pronunciation. <laughs> I've Not never said the word out loud fellow. to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you say British. I mean, I'm, I'm going with the Daniel Craig pronunciation from Casino Royale, but yeah. I didn't add the extra R at the end like he did. <laughs> yes, you can't, you can't help that part. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, I have one, one thing I'll throw out there just is your observation, James, about Zinn, you know, making watches for Germans and then just selling them everywhere. I think they they do a pretty good job making watches for the Japanese too. Oh, no, no doubt. But I also think I don't want to be unfair. I don't want to over contextualize, but we're, t- we're cutting things down into single sentences. The specificity of the way that uh, Germans approach product, whether it be cars, watches or otherwise light switches, like that kind of stuff is very similar to the obsessiveness of Japanese culture. Oh, totally. The specificity and I matters. To... We're, we're not buying things like we go to a hardware store and I'm going to say we North Americans, we go to a hardware store and we just buy like a dollar fifty nine plugs and and switches and and you know cram them into the wall. That's not the way it works in other parts where you go to you go to Switzerland and like the light switches are next level. They're not necessarily better. They don't turn the light on or off better, but they are like a, a they're they're like a, a better thing. Oh, for sure. Well, I just mean to say that they Zen makes really good LEs for that Japanese market. Oh, no question. Yeah, yeah. yeah and they have, yeah. they have obsessives. I think they have obsessives all over the world, which is why they, they work in the States as well, where, you know, you, you guys have such a, a fantastic culture of being obsessive and really deep into things um, in, in a way that it's it's like hard to describe. Like try and describe the car culture in LA to somebody else. It's, it's, it's like trying to describe an entire art gallery of art to somebody. It's a, it's a whole different thing. There's all sorts of contexts and the rest of it, and, and it takes decades to get into it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I would agree that Zinn is Zinn's really well positioned to, man, I feel like we've been talking about this for a, a really long time. Omega used to sit at a certain price point, and then they moved up as Rolex moved up, right? And they went to their own movements, and we saw the 2500s, and we saw the 8000 series, the true coaxials, and the rest of it. Um, and and, and I, th- I think that vacuum where we saw Longines really come in we saw oris come in with the 60 early 65 stuff that vacuum of let's say twenty five hundred dollars to six grand 
in those numbers could wiggle at this point due to inflation and the rest, like the stuff that's happened through the pandemic. But I do think it's an interesting thing to consider brands that are strong there now because Omega decided to go up market. Like my the last Omega that I had was a 2254 uh, dive watch, which is, a, a, I would say, arguably a perfect dive watch aside from the, the grip on the bezel, if you're going to get really specific, is a little bit slippery. Um, but a great watch, thin, super wearable, great every day, beautiful, sword hands, wave dial, still kind of subtle has the right name on the dial. It looks good. It has MOD like background sort of ideology, which I like. But now you have all sorts of brands vying for like Tudor's done a great job of essentially just being like, this is what you buy. And and Omega still doing a decent job of representing just at the upper upper end of that level. Oris doing a good job. And now Zin. So I get it. And, and with Seiko making the push away from prospects models that are say we'll talk in msrps because seiko has two price points really for every watch but um seven eight hundred dollars to more like fifteen hundred dollars and then even more like say twenty two hundred dollars but at that point you're getting an 8l or an 8 series movement um yeah i think it's a fascinating time to be into watches and have less than five grand to spend on a watch yeah no it's a good point and uh i think that's where probably i i don't would I don't want to allude to the economy or whatever is going to happen in the next year, but I think that's probably going to be, that's probably going to be a price point that people are a little more focused on. Oops, guys, hang on one second. Kill kill that real fast. Talk amongst yourselves. If I was, if I was focused on buying a watch right now um, and, and I was, I was, let's say I was a few years into the hobby or the enthusiasm, there's an incredible sweet spot right now in in the secondhand market between a thousand dollars and $2,000. Like it's kind of wild how much watch you can get. Um, and that still puts you above some of the micro brands, but it puts you mm-hmm. below a tutor. So if you just think of it in those in those worlds, like there's just an incredible amount of value right now. And, and, and the nice thing is, is we're not finding, maybe you guys have a different opinion. I'd love to hear it, but I'm not getting a lot of reports from folks that would email me or leave comments um, saying that any given watch is junk. Terrible Absolutely. movement they all break like sure there's little there's little hiccups obviously with the bbgmt it was like widely reported that some of them had like a double date jumping error and when that came out and we put the week on the wrist out and we got comments i reached out to everyone i knew who had one and it was like this is totally anecdotal it's not real data but it was like half of them were like well they had to go back and then i got it back and it's been fine so i mean that's a brand new movement um, it's, it's up to you, your perspective, whether or not that's acceptable or not. In my mind, I'm a guy with, you know, let's say 20 watches I could wear. I don't really mind if one has to go back, but you spend a lot of money on a watch. You kind of want it to be perfect. So I kind of get both sides of the <laughs> argument, but I, I just, I do think that we're, we're, we are enjoying a period of time that if the, if the financial system at play currently continues, I don't know that we'll see the same value on the table in two or three years. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And James, I mean, to your point, you mentioned even kind of secondhand prices between one and call it two and a half thousand dollars. I think one of my favorite articles that I was able to write last year for Fratello, um, I had to translate it into euros. But other than that, um, was MSRPs of watches between one and twenty five hundred euros. I mean, Mm -hmm. I looked at kind of what came out in twenty twenty two. And one of the ones that I got to review hands on was was definitely on the list. I've I've got it still sitting here on my desk is the Zodiac uh, Super Seawolf with the ceramic. Uh, outer case, just oh, a yeah, phenomenal nice. watch for 1700 bucks. Like you can't, yep. you, like there were a lot of things that came out and even some on the lower end. If you look at like this new Seiko five GMTs, the, the Tissot mm-hmm. PRXs, the Tissot, the 
to SoPRX Chronograph. I mean, there were a lot of really good things in kind of that entry-level luxury price point that were excellently designed, offered a really good value proposition, had pretty solid movement technology in them. I mean, that could that could be a great addition to a collection or it could be your one watch. Like, I, I just think that a lot of creativity is happening in that price point. And then, like you said, you start to bring in some of the secondhand stuff at just above that level. You're really kind of spoiled for choice. Yep. Yeah. And then and if you want to get more specific, like think about what's going on in GMTs right now. We are oh, on the absolutely. absolute edge of the greatest era of GMT watches since 1954. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I've got this one on my wrist. This is $1,400 for a local jumping GMT with a great power reserve. It's nicely made. You know, before the before that, you would lean towards something like a BB GMT, which is, let's call it comfortably two and a half X the price. But before the BB GMT came out, we're looking at something more like a 1710. Um uh, a 16710 Rolex and yep. and you know that that's a whole that's a whole different world like the fact that you have Seiko operating a, a collar GMT at $500 or the new Solar Sumo which looks incredible a little big 45 millimeters too big for my wrist but I can't blame them for going that market they know who buys their watches Seiko also has to sell watches to the whole world not just us um they'll get to our size eventually um <laughs> and and then when you when you when you extrapolate that out beyond the CO7 ETA stuff, the Miota stuff that we're only just seeing the first options between Citizen and others that use Miota that have proper local jumping, you know, you can look into like the Bull of a Wilton and the rest of it. Uh, yeah, I think we're right on the edge of of seeing what used to be kind of an expensive, mm-hmm. tough sort of complication. A, a, yeah, niche thing to be democratized. Yeah. Well, and the one that I think everybody keeps forgetting, and, and Matt, I believe you own or owned this watch is that Seiko Presage Sharp Edge GMT that had a local yeah. jumping hour that 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 watch design is not for everybody. I know you like it. I, I certain angles I like it, certain angles I don't, but that movement exists. And it's like, man, throw that in something yeah. like that sumo case or a smaller version that throw that in an SPB case with a yep. with a GMT bezel all day. All yeah, day. That would, be, that would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Man, it, just, they haven't really done anything with it. No, they haven't. Years ago, I dove. I dove in Hawaii with an SUN023, which is the big forty-seven millimeter kinetic GMT. But it's local jumping. It's kinetic. Like put that in a smaller watch, miniaturize it a little bit. Yeah. But that that movement, the new Solar GMT that they they just showed off with the Sumo, the one from the Presage. Like there's a ton out there. We just got to get them in in the right movements, and that's what Seiko excels at. Is like. Here's here's the ingredients we have. Let's like mix and match until we get the thing that that kind of hits every market. Yeah, totally. They can do the yeah the the low, lower end collar kind of mid grade um, flyer, solar flyer, mm-hmm. uh, spring drive flyer. Yeah, yeah. High beat, yeah, yeah. High beat flyer. They've they've got it. So they can they can make All it those work. high beats are sweet. Yeah, they, are. they can yeah. throw a they can throw a flyer GMT in with a chronograph and make it spring drive and just it's more is more. <laughs> they definitely could. Absolutely. Well, hey guys, let's get into the main topic here. What do we think? Does anybody need to uh, do a drink refresh or anything like that? Are we good? No, I'm good. I'll do it quietly I'm off excited. camera. I'm going <laughs> to pop open a Spring Thrills IPA from Pizza Port, kind of an old OG craft brewery here in Southern California. As we complain about the weather, I, I specifically picked out something called spring thrills. Nice. I like it. 
Well, here, I'm just going to do like a quick, uh, you know, 30 second kind of a high level recap, right, of 2022. So 2022 last year was completely new regulations and specs for the car. Um, we, I remember, at least from my point of view, this time last year when we were on with with Spence and Josh and Pandolfo, Ferrari looked like very strong on pace. They started out really strong on raw pace. But in the end, it wasn't really a close fight, right? Between them and Red Bull, Max does end up winning and it's not close like the year before where it's, you know, it's a horse race all the way, last lap of the last race, you know, all the way down to the wire. Um, Mercedes was on the back foot really all the way through the season, except really until maybe the last two or three races. But Mercedes as a team hung together, which is good to see. So I've got some questions for all. Um and just, you know, feel free, jump in as you want to answer this. But looking back at 2022, are there any standout drives or races or like singular events that struck you as being particularly interesting or impactful? Well, I'll, if I'll I, jump if I can jump in. Go oh, ahead. Please, go please. ahead no, 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 no. I had, no, I had nothing. Sure. Go ahead. So the, the first one that I would say is uh, it's somebody who's going to be on the grid full time this year. And DeVries first drive mm-hmm. with Williams was phenomenal. The fact that he got points. I think didn't even just get one, got two in his first drive with a team and a car that has been kind of, they had a better year last year um, than previously, but they, they've been really struggling. And to see a, a new guy come in kind of on loan and get points, you're like, Ooh, and, and then to have him end up at AlphaTauri this year, I think it's like, he's going to be a guy I, I want to watch um, because he's, you know, he did a phenomenal job in that car for the one race when he was given his chance. What do you think about? I, I mean, I'm I mean, I'm speaking way outside my. This is deep armchair stuff that we're going into now. But with Devries, what do you think about his like relative inexperience in the sport? Like when he finished, he he had some complaints on the radio that I don't know. That's what I would have wanted to said at the, at the end of my at the end of my bid, and and I heard the similar from other ex Formula One drivers saying like, well, you know, I mean. That's a tough track, but there's significantly harder tracks. Singapore, for example, you know, he, there was a chance he could have, he might have needed to have run at Singapore, and and that's apparently a a, a grind, right? And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by by the mix up. I think DeVries' talent is undeniable, right? He made a lot out of a car that um, people had some doubts in, um, in, in terms of its mid pack pace. But uh, yeah, I, I'm 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 always curious about the the mental strain of a race because I feel like it's only talked about by drivers and it doesn't translate that well to the spectator. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm with you on that. I, I'm just I'm trying to rem- I'm vaguely remembering some of his comments at the end in the in the the mental grind. But I mean, I the only thing this is this is gonna be a really weird topic. I guess to topic be fair, change. this was a physical a physical complaint, not a mental one. But uh, yeah, you're saying his shoulders or his neck hurt, something like that. Well, he's going to have to get used to that. I can remember watching an episode of Top Gear where Richard Hammond threw out his neck on a Formula 3 car. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, true. and that was only after an hour. So th- what these guys do is, to a degree, superhuman. It's, it's real you, tough. We don't, we don't think of it. You know, I, I know a lot of people, a lot to, to a lot of the folks who aren't into auto racing are like, oh, you sit around and drive in a car. I'm like, yeah, we're not used to. the, the only, I think the only people who have a this isn't even a semi-normal day job, but like the only people who really understand what race car drivers probably go through are fighter pilots from a, from a lateral G and, you know, you throw in the, the vertical component there. But I mean, I, you know, we, we aren't sure. used to cornering at that force at that speed and with those reaction times. So, I mean, to, yes, it is a physical grind, especially, 
you know, given the heat and everything, depending yep. on some of those tracks. Yeah. So like, I, I, it doesn't come out, but like, I th- think the ones where you see the guys get out of the car and their, their entire, you know, overalls are a completely different color than where they started. Yeah, you you kind of start to get it. <laughs> Yeah, I remember years years ago I went to um, Circuit of the Americas with IWC, and uh, and when they run a press program, it's usually for Friday or Saturday, so we were there for the Saturday. And at one point, you know, we're walking around the pits and you're seeing cars, and it's kind of fun. And they said, uh, you know, so if you know Circuit of the Americas in in Austin, the front or the the front straight through th- past uh, the paddocks uh, is uphill, um, not slightly, it's pretty uphill. And they said every single time that Lewis Hamilton went through, the braking zone is equivalent to like a 400 or 490 pound leg press with one leg. You, you want it to like, it's, it's, a t- it's a tough thing. Like, I think it's, it's it, don't get me wrong. It's the cool. It's one of the coolest jobs in the world. It's like being an astronaut. Yeah. But like the reason it's cool is it's also really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. I think, I think I, I, I love a season that has some new, some fresh blood. Some people who won't who will be doing this for the first time, like it, for DeVries, I think he did so well in that race that like it's all good. Arguably, I would say that Sky F1 or, or F1 TV just didn't have to play that comment. They kind of did him dirty. But yeah. um, I, 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 I do like that we have some new people in this year, especially because the top three teams didn't change anyone. Well, let's jump to that as the next question then, because one of the things I mean, this is an interesting bit, right? There's a a whole kind of raft of rookies this year. And we've already talked about DeVries. I think he's personally, well, we'll save that for predictions, but so we've got Logan Sargent, right? This is the, uh, the American that I think hopefully it's not a box check, right? For the, the system, you know, to get an American in, he seems good. Um, we've got Nick DeVries who's, you know, it seems like in the past 10 years, the move in terms of age has been downward, right? You know, these Guys are starting at like 20, 21, 19, 17. DeVries is like one of the oldest starts in a long time. And then there's Oscar Piastri, right? So how do we think these guys are going to do in their respective teams? Okay, I'll start. So I think... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my money's on DeVries. I, you know, we sort of led with this guy, but when you, I think actually in a way his inexperience in formula one is, um, if for people who don't follow this guy, he's a formula E champion. So he's a series champion in, in open wheel and it's a pretty technical series. You know, it's not formula Mm -hmm. one, but it's, it's definitely up and coming, uh, two time world karting champion F2 champion. And I think he's one of the only guys who has during all of this, he's got, I don't know if you knew this, but because people don't talk about this very much, but he's got prototype experience too. He's, he's, um, an LMP two driver. And I think he's got race wins there as well. Uh, so, you know, a huge breadth of experience. And I want to say the guy's like 27 or 28, which is, you know, a bit old to be starting in F1 now, but I don't, I think this guy has seen enough that F1 is not going to phase him like the, you know, the team dynamics or the pressure. And he's in a mid-pack car, so he could conceivably surprise people. I, I, I feel a little bad for Logan Sargent. He's down in arguably one of the two worst cars. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be hard to make an impression. Yeah, I think I feel like we, we are at a point like we've seen with a lot of uh, different sports 
where the health aspect of the sport has come a long way in in the in this generation. So you see even even guys like Alonzo really flouting the concept that you can be too old for this. Like there is a, there is an experience metric and there's an age metric and the two don't mix. They 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 cross paths at some point, but they don't they don't really blend that well. And uh, and so I I think the new guys the new guys will be the thing that everybody wants to see. And it'll be their introduction to an insane world, uh, both on and off the track. Um, but I also think it's probably like an like an almost unbelievable amount of pressure, especially if you're DeVries. If everybody's kind of saying like, "This is the guy to watch," like that's that's tough. That's a that's a lot to deal with, and it also probably doesn't put you in an incredible place with your teammate. It depends on how friendly you are. Maybe I don't know. I think the the other one too that I'll be curious to see how they handle all of this drama on season five of drive to survive as piastri because you know i mean yes danny rick struggled at mclaren but he was under contract for another year i mean he got a pretty sweet buyout mclaren honored the buyout which given the financial situation that mclaren's been in for the last several years i know zach brown's had to work to shore shore that up quite a bit that, that was not an easy buyout to swallow i'm sure so the fact that they were confident enough that they could one get him from alpine and two, he was good enough to replace uh, the only guy who's won for McLaren in what, the last eight years? Mm-hmm. I mean, say what you will about Danny Rick's underperformance there. He got them to where none of their other drivers could. Um, yeah, I'm a huge Danny Rick stan. So I, I think they, <laughs> I'm not saying they made the wrong choice switching drivers. You have to move things around. That's like because these are all businesses, the team, every team is its own business that has to exist in this weird market of only having nine competitors. Um, Sure, make make your decisions, and I think I think Brown is on a pretty good path for McLaren. I think he's doing what he can to keep the team competitive in 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 their space, and and I do think that there's a world in which they are top tier in, in top tier competitive competition in the future. But um, I'm, yeah, I like Danny Rick a lot, and and I I hope we get to see him again uh, racing. Um, I'm sure we will. It's only a matter of time. I just I feel like. I think to Matt's point, I think DeVries is really the guy to watch from a skill perspective, from an experience perspective, but drive to survive drops in two days, preseason testing's going on. You're going to have this storyline of this is the guy who replaced. I mean, if if you've, if you've been watching drive to survive, which Greg, were you a season one convert as well? Uh, I've seen all seasons, but I started season one after it dropped as season two was preparing to drop. Okay. So that, that whole, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit off air with, you know, how, how it all, how it all kind of worked and how they weren't really following all the teams, but the whole drama there was around Danny Rick leaving Red Bull and how that whole season unfolded. So in a weird way, I feel like to a subset of, um, subset of formula one fans who are, who are getting into the sport and riding along with Netflix, like Danny Rick's kind of their guy. Like he was the, he was the main storyline for season one. You were really rooting for him. Yep. Um, and, and he's charming. He, he very, you know, very much so. So like, you're going to see this with Piastri and Danny Rick's back with Red Bull as the third driver. And it's, it's just kind of come full circle. It'll be very interesting kind of the fan reaction to Piastri if he doesn't perform. And it's going to be tough. It's his first season. So like, I don't expect great things. I don't expect him to be a world beater, but it's going to be a you, unique angle for him. And you know, you know that the commentators, they're going to be saying like, oh, well, last year at this track, uh, Ricardo was oh, yeah. <laughs> two tenths of a second faster through sector two. And you're like, guys, like, let a dude breathe. Like, let him run. This is the same thing that I probably bothered Ricardo when it, when it yeah. came to these 
to these kind of comments. Like, I, I think it would bug anybody, right? Um, you know, some of these guys seem kind of above it, but yeah, I, I think that it, like I said, it's a little bit tough to be the, the sort of like prospect, yeah, uh, or, or the number one pick or whatever, because there's no there's no draft for form. That'd be fun if there was, but there's no draft for Formula One. There's got to be. I'm sure there must be some kind of fantasy Formula One. I've never looked into it, but that that's got to be a thing, right? You, you know, draft drivers and teams and cars. Everything exists on the internet. It has to. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I play baseball, so it's got to be something, <laughs> right? <laughs> you said that. I, I remember this conversation. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, what is so speaking of the Netflix thing then, because I'd like to loop Greg into this. What um, angles from last season do we think are going to, and I know, Michael, you have probably a little bit of a, a, a teaser on this. But what angles do we think they're going to hype up? Because it, it does seem like they really focus on certain things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they can make stories where we didn't know stories existed. So, I mean, that's like legitimately cool. Um, they can make mountains out of molehills and, you know, make somebody a villain or somebody a hero or, or whatever. Uh, I'm curious as to what you guys think are going to be the, the primary su- like focus of, of each of these episodes. Or maybe not each of the episodes, but you know what I mean? If, if, what do you think they're going to play up? I mean, I'm I'm hoping I've I've got the episode names in front of me, and I I don't know that I want to get everyone's react because there's ten of them, and I don't feel like we need to go through all of them. But mm-hmm. it it seems like you're going to have to focus a little bit on Ferrari's at least initial surge and, and kind of get them to the point where I don't want to say that the that that the drivers' championship or the 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 constructors' championship really became unattainable for them, but it was somewhere in that French Grand Prix event where he just had had the off, and you're like. Uh, that was one that he really needed to get. This is going to maybe be too much. Um, I feel like you're going to, you're going to get, I guess the only real rivalry there was kind of mid season max versus Checo. Like I want to know what happened between Monaco sure. and the end of the season. Like it seemed like everything was going well, you know, the end of last year, Checo's a, le- Checo's a bleeping legend or whatever. Like mm-hmm. I have a coworker who has that quote on a shirt um, from that, the last race of the 2022 season. So like our 2021 season. I'm just kind of wondering where they go with that. Cause that to me was kind of the biggest mm-hmm. dust up at the end of the season was infighting at Red Bull. Um, so yeah, in, infighting and, and the ever so slightly blown budget cap. Well, yeah, there's that there's too many, <laughs> too many good sandwiches or yeah. whatever. Well, so I, I'm glad to see, I don't know if you guys saw that Haas is trying to take care of that because Chipotle is now their sponsor. So at least from the catering perspective, Haas I is covered. <laughs> Gunter doesn't miss that. Dangerous no, move. Dangerous move. <laughs> yeah, I mean that could that could go a couple of different ways. You know, I'm gonna I'll put my hands up and say I, I like the food, but you you gotta be careful. No pre race Chipotle, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> there's a forty eight hour celebrate with a burrito. You don't start with <laughs> that's that. Right. That's right. <laughs> we all know that. We all know that. We've been saying that for years. <laughs> no, I I'm in my mind they're gonna if if I was thinking about the way to craft the sort of multi-layered inter- interlaced drama that they're going to spread across. X- is it 10 or 12 episodes? It's 10. 10? 10. Yeah. Okay. So in my mind, you start the year off and project an image that, that there's a few teams that could win. And you're, you're, you're running that line until, yeah, there's some missteps on Ferrari's side. And then I would give it a, an episode, maybe an episode and a half before you really start to dig into the fact that it's a strategy misstep more than 
obviously we had we had some driver errors, but that's also almost impossible. Like, let's be clear, Max didn't really have any mistakes this year that cost him dearly. So there are there are essentially the ability to bat 400 or whatever in the sport, and yeah, I I I think that's one direction you could go. I think there's an incredible story to be told of the mid pack competition between Alonso and. I mean, just show me like uh, um, uh, I just blanked on his name. Uh, Lance Stroll in the rain alone. Yes, yes. I just, that, like I just want to. Uh, this is the, the the Lance Stroll thing is what I want a Lance Stroll race where everybody drives the same car and you get four laps on fresh tires and we just see who's actually the fastest because I feel like he is a, a like a weapon in a certain scenario and otherwise like gets pushed too hard or Seb was too close to him or Alonzo was always in front of him or just behind him. It, you know, but it, it's, it's an interesting world because the guy takes so much heat for the scenario in which he's in the sport. But then you see him run in the rain in qualifying and you're like, well, that was, that was really fast. <laughs> like, and that's all the sport is like, well, who's the fastest? Yeah. He's not your average pay driver. No, I don't think so. I think it's like I don't want to be hard on the guy, and I also don't want to give him like special credit because like, the Canadian element, the rest of it. Um, I want to try and be fair. Uh, you know, he he is there. He is there due to external uh, influences that his family and you know has on on the sport. But I also think that with the right car, with the right coaching, with the right scenario, you have a competitive driver who deserves to be in an Aston Martin. Well, um, you know, I, the I, thing I, is, is we've sure. seen it. To your point, yeah. we've seen it in those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I heard somebody say that if you really want to do, and maybe maybe Matt, we were talking about this last year, but if you really want to do a driver's championship and a constructor's championship, the drivers should all rotate. Essentially, you get two to three races with each team in each car and see who the best driver is, and you can wow. see which one is the best car. It would yeah, never, never happen, that. but that would be unbelievable. You know, that, that wasn't me. We had a similar conversation along a different lines, but that, that's an interesting concept. I personally think, um, I mean, this, I think would probably cause a lot of gnashing of teeth and rending of garments, but it'd be interesting if they just did away with the driver's championship. You know, if, if you win the Super Bowl, does, if you win the Super Bowl, does the quarterback get the ring and nobody else? You know, it's, he gets the MVP trophy though. Pretty much. when you think about it, like the um, that all the different sort of internecine dynamics and the, the the drivers, you know, can constantly sort of working against each other. If the incentive structure were different, you know, it, it, there might be different outcomes, and you might see teams where you know they're consistently running mid pack. Maybe they wouldn't go to the top of the list, you know, in the order, but they might, mm-hmm. you know, improve their their standings if they didn't have two drivers that were constantly butting heads, you know, because they're, they're mid pack drivers worried about their contracts. Yeah. I think the driver's championship adds, adds an element to the sport that like extrapolates the random nature, the dice roll of every turn. When you're a little bit too fast, when you lock up a wheel, when you leave too hot, when you spin, but don't crash, like all of that stuff does play out. If it's not, I think if we see several seasons where it's not competitive, like it wasn't competitive this year um, by say about mid year. It was kind of, I'm not saying it was over mid year, but like, but it was on a trajectory to be. Yeah. Like you, if you extrapolated performance, that's where we were going to land. And Max is dominant. The guy is, seems like a rock. 
Um, he's at the he's at the his kind of trajectory in the sport before he starts to feel any certain public way about his the way that people perceive him. He's a champion, um, so he's not apologizing. Uh, he's a tough teammate, as we've seen. Although I, I would contend that there's times when Checo's been a tough teammate, also, um, and they also work for somebody who I don't think is necessarily the easiest boss, right? Um, and that and that's not a dig against Horner. I think he's an like it's very clear now that he's an incredible brain for what he's doing. But I don't know that that's a cakewalk to be one of his drivers, right? Nor should it be. This should be a hard job. They're paid an incredible amount of money. Uh, but I, I would I would love to see. You know, like, like, give me, let's do the sprints in all the same car. Let's do yeah. the sprints. Let's do the sprint races in Toyota Yaris's. <laughs> the old star in the reasonably priced car. Yeah, exactly. I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that F- would be. FIA preps every car. It's one set of tires. And that determines, it doesn't determine a race. You're not going to mess up like, but it determines the the grid. You know, as a neophyte, it's sort of uh, to build on that point. It, it does make sense, though, that there are sort of individual accolades. It's really easy to understand, you know, over the last several years who Lewis is from afar, you know, because of the individual accolades. You know, and I think at this point now it's becoming very easy to understand who Max is from sort of arms arms reach. So mm-hmm. that's just another consideration if we're talking about also growing the audience of the sport. Yeah, that's true because that's a that's a people angle, not a, a technology or you know motor motorsport company or manufacturer angle. You know, not not everybody knows that ins and outs or why McLaren's important, but you know people can relate to a, a Danny Ricardo or a Lewis. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean the the drive to survive has shown us and will show us in this new season. I'm sure of it. The human element of of Formula One. Which, which we so commonly, we focus on the rules and the way that the FIA manages those rules. <laughs> and uh, that's a ca- careful terminology on my part. Um, and, uh, and, and, and the team and the team principal and the car and the, the arrow and the, the this and the tire. The tires, of course, are the whole thing. Like it's 30% of the sport is, is talking about tires. And I hate the way they do it currently because uh, you're never really sure. I wish every tire had its own name and we just knew the three tires they were running. Um, it's, it's, it, they, they, they needlessly complicate the, the tire scenario, but I do think that bringing the human element to it, like, this is why I, my wife and I watched the last season, every single race often watch qualifying and in some, and depending on the track, watch, uh, practice as well is because we did the, the drive to survive stuff. So, I mean, kudos to that entire team, uh, huge amount of talent, uh, put behind producing a, can you imagine something a lot more complicated than that? Like doing it for the watch industry uh sure but i mean at least they're all all these people are in one place every couple of weeks during the season so there, there's a, some production simplicities that's an ex, uh, an extravagance uh, in terms of a term there but yeah i i just think the show's so watchable so fun i don't think you have to care one bit about the car to enjoy the sport which i kind of feel is how the sport started a long time ago we're going to put the the best that we can in cars on the coolest tracks and see what happens. And a lot of it came down to the off track personality came down to, yeah, the contracts and, and the infighting and the, the, the way that all of that relayed back to, you know, like it, whenever, whenever the FAA does make a rule judgment or you see a penalty, like you weigh that against how you feel about the driver. 
Oh yeah. And if they're if they're not your boy, you're like you deserved it. <laughs> yeah. But like, <laughs> but like you know, I was really really bummed for signs at at the top of of the first turn in the U.S. Grand Prix, and I was like, but you can just spin a guy out and essentially end his race, and and the penalty's five seconds or whatever. I mean, yeah, signs was my the guy I I kind of secretly was rooting for most of the I love him most of the t- same here same here I think he's his success for him is like success for Lewis it's good for the sport in in a way that's hard to define but you know he's he's just seems like such a good dude he's like you know like Danny Rick like you'd want to go play golf with him sure I don't yeah play, I, I don't I, play just golf, a fantastic but, accent whatever. a great driver. Uh, com- comes from drivers, which mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. You know, you can you can dig into what his dad this did this year, yeah, uh, in in racing. Let alone what his dad did when his dad was you know one of the best in the world. His dad hasn't slowed down in any way, sped up in some ways. Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think the the sport has all the makings to just keep bringing people in. Like I think whatever we've seen from Drive to Survive in the past little while, and the huge increase in uh, female audience, which is never happens for sports, and to see them move into kind of this next era, I think we're just—I don't think we've seen it. I think we're starting to see it. And realistically, too, I think you could, you know, compliment Carlos Sainz for that—the female engagement a little bit more. Either. At least that's what my wife keeps telling me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there, there's—it's a—it's a field of hotties for sure, no question. Signs, signs included. Yeah. The, well, that uh, was kind of. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. As I say, I think the other thing too that kind of, in a weird way, it drew me in, um, was the just the production value. I mean, I, you know, I, it came yeah. out at a time when 4K TV was taking off, like season one. Like, I, I, I honestly, the, the we had been watching Formula One kind of off and on a little bit. Like, I, I knew the Monaco Grand Prix was on usually the same weekend as the Indy 500. Just a great, a great day for motor racing if you like all genres of the sport. Um, Usually that's how the calendar lines up. It, it's not always how it lines up, but you, know, you kind of start to watch that. And, you know, we had our first in 2017 and I don't know, I mean, you all know this little ones are up early. Most of those races are in Europe. You know, it's a win-win. I got to have something to watch because sports coverage at 7 a.m. on a weekend is very lacking in the States because most things don't start until noon or later. So it was on and it was entertaining and it was fast. And then you have the takeoff of, of 4K. And I, I even just told my wife, I was like, we got to watch this, not just because we know some of the drivers and we're, we're loosely following it from afar, but just sure. look at how well this is shot. Like the ultra slow-mo shots of like a Ferrari on, on, on a corner, just the way they got those shots. And just the if you can watch it on, I mean, I guess now every, every TV is pretty much 4K. Anything that you would have bought in the last three or four years would have been like that because you know, what, what law is that where things just keep coming down in price to the point where, you know, you can, you can get a TV that has unbelievable picture for not a lot of money. That's how this was made to be viewed. I don't think this works in the standard definition era either. Weirdly enough, I think the, the cinematography and the quality of how this is shot, like that's also what drew me in. Just you're watching these beautiful machines in exotic places and just the way it was captured was just unbelievable. Moore's Law. Thank you, James. I see you typing that in the message. Yes, that one. That one. Yes, it just... It's well, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally yeah, no, agree. It's beautifully shot. I've got I've got a, uh, a digression or a recommendation at the end to remind me about cinematography in, in 
motorsport stuff. Um, so this kind of, I think, you know, essentially answers the next question I was going to throw out there. And that is, is Formula One really catching on at a stain- sustainable level, sorry, in the US? And, you know, how will, like the Vegas, for instance, as a barometer, how will the Las Vegas Grand Prix go? What do you guys think of that? Because it, it does seem like Formula One is really staking its future on the United States as a market. And I don't know if that's a pivot from another major global market that I won't mention, but you know what I mean? It's, um, it does seem like they're really putting a lot of effort to getting more eyeballs and enthusiasm and activation in North America. Do you think it's working? You know, from my point of view, I think sports, uh, has proven to be sort of DVR proof and sort of in terms of marketing dollars, the sort of gold standard for television programming you know, these days. And so I think there's an appetite, um, you know, obviously for it. And the way that it's being presented now, I think is really compelling to somebody who maybe didn't follow it for the last four five, six, seven years. And then I think part of the allure to me, I think, is that there's these, you know, faraway locales, or like, like Spence mentioned, we're racing in Europe, we're racing in South America, we're racing in Asia. That is, and it's very European centric. There's a lot of there's a lot of draw to that as, as sort of a North American or American viewer. Um, but now that there's three races in the States, there's sort of a little bit of pride in that too. It's like, oh, cool. Okay, we've had Austin. Now we've got Miami and now there's Vegas. Uh, there's a little bit of like, I don't know, just a little bit of kind of homerism in like, okay, well, cool. We have races now too. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I sort of see it from this, from my point of view. It's one of the main reasons I still have cable is to watch those races. And they're not on at times that, I'm watching anything else. There are a few other events that I still have cable for, but largely it's Formula One. And it's to the point now where the kids know, like I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. I have a 16-month-old. He's not quite there yet. But the three-year-old and the five-year-old, they know Saturday and Sundays, race cars are on. Yep. They know they're on. And it's it's they may not sit and watch the whole race. I'll tell you, qualifying really works well for them from a timing perspective. That that qualifying, that hour of qualifying, or so, give or take, is about perfect. But they love it. They know they they know they are to the point where they know a few of the drivers' names. They know most of the cars. They don't quite get the colors right sometimes. They're like they ask about the purple car. I'm like, well, that's really it's really blue and a little bit of pink. But you know, we'll get there with Alpine at some point. But they like they get it. It's it's appointment television for us most weekends. Or it's at least sometimes I'm the one who I want to wait until I know that the race is over so that I can watch the whole thing. Cause I don't like, I don't like coming in and you're like, Oh man, why are they out? And it's like, it was either a crash or, you know, Ferrari's asking Ferrari's race engineers are asking their drivers questions instead of telling them when to come in. <laughs> um, I know th- that scene's going to have to be on one of the episodes where we talk about Ferrari, not making it there. The race where they're asking Leclerc questions on the radio, not, not exactly yeah. a good look from your strategists, but like, I don't want to, it's one of those few things where I, w- I love to watch it live. If I can't watch it live, I don't want to jump in halfway. There are other sporting events. No, I'm okay. No, no. A baseball game, I'm okay jumping in halfway. Most football games, regular season games, I'm okay jumping in halfway. There, there's a lot. There, there are very few things that I need to sit down and watch from start to finish that are that length. Formula One races are one of them, for sure. For sure. And I want like the five, ten minutes before lights are out where they talk about the i want to know the track temperature i want to know what the is the rain coming how close is it oh, what, what direction it is it coming? every time <laughs> right uh, yeah rain, rain rain is uh you know the, as they say the great equalizer it's in and, and, and it really brings a different level to the sport especially if you've been a season or two in 
so you saw the race last year at such and such a track in a different condition and you go like oh but last you know last year max was four laps ahead or whatever you know 30 seconds ahead of anybody else by the time the race ended and now it's a whole it's a whole mix up and you go like oh it's it's interesting when the cars are clearly made to excel in a certain scenario and as soon as that scenario is not in play the driver becomes so much more heavily weighted in in the overall performance of of that half of each team it's a it's a fascinating thing but i agree i, I would say the biggest thing on my side is i don't you know like in, in canada like obviously if you want to talk about hockey you can talk about hockey to anybody at any point anyone you can any person who's nearby you can just start shouting at them about hockey and they'll respond in some manner um but i i would say like in my non-sporting world i don't i don't really follow sports other than formula one um this is the most seemingly like level of discussion that people have and they're all bringing their information from uh drive to survive so I, I think it's a great thing for the sport. And I also think we're going to start seeing it replicated in other sports because I would yeah. watch a drive to survive for tennis and I would pay a lot of money for it because that's it's, a sport that there's a little bit too much more for me to de- dig into. I w- but I do want to watch the condensed version of it into a, some sort of a drama. James, do you know that the new the new drive to survive style show for tennis Breakpoint? I didn't know. I, had no I think idea. it just dropped. I think it just okay. dropped. I'm yeah. in. I'm already sold. <laughs> Let's do some tennis. <laughs> tennis was something that I I had like I didn't I didn't grow up watching or anything. And then the first press trip I ever went on in in the watch industry that had travel involved was to Roland Garros with Longines. Oh jeez, long time ago. And um and I went and I was kind of like indifferent. And then I got to watch. Uh, this was a year when Nadal and Djokovic essentially like went for three hours and then were rain delayed and the, the other half of the game was played the next day. So I had flown home, but I watched a battle. The only thing I could compare it to is a boxing match. Um, I've never seen anyone work so hard for anything in their whole dang life. <laughs> it was so impressive. That's and, cool. uh, and I think you see some of that in, in formula one as well. Like the, the, the emotions are high, the stress levels high, people want to succeed. And then you have, a bunch of perfectionists all existing in one limb, especially when it comes to the team leaders, the the principals. Um, and and it, it makes for some great television. And then once you have the context, which I think you can get from Netflix, from Drive to Survive, the sport opens up and, and you start to have this context that I think in years past probably would have taken years of watching every race on a Sunday and having a buddy who had watched the years before you. Otherwise, you just pick the driver and hope they win. Yeah, it's almost like getting the box scores in the paper or something like that, mm. it, you know, and it, it's so much more kind of a, a tapestry now, you know, the, I think of a Formula One season and then maybe individually the races, but I mean, it's like a big narrative, you know, some kind of a, a epic drama and in, in a way that the other sports maybe haven't tapped into yet, it, I, which I'm sure exists on the ground in those other sports, but they, they haven't hit that yet. And Formula One is kind of unique to that, but you just mentioned in tennis, you you mentioned the magic name Rafa. He's a he's a Richard Mill guy, right? A few times over, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's lost a couple. <laughs> Somebody, else, you know. Okay, <laughs> but well, uh, I don't know if a couple is fair. I think one one of them got lost. But um, well, let's talk so, for a minute about watches in Formula One, because uh, I mean, 
that seems like that's for a podcast like ours. That's uh, that is what is the word? It's um, easy pickings, low hanging fruit. It's fertile ground. Is is Richard Mill the unofficial watch of Formula One? I mean, it says Rolex on the sideboards all along the circuits, but I don't see drivers wearing Rolex. As a layperson, it feel it still feels just even growing up, not even closely following F1, just seeing the highlights on SportsCenter as a kid, it was it was Rolex. Like Rolex is synonymous with, to me, at least with, with F1 and, and motorsport. But now knowing the drivers and seeing the styles and the fashions and trends and the kind of the key figures, it feels, to your point, like, you know, Richard Mille is the sort of unofficial watch now of, at least of drivers per se. Well, I, I have that question though, because... I feel like a lot of times when you see Leclerc on his yacht in the Mediterranean, he's not wearing a, an RM. Like whenever you get the spy photos of them, they feel like some of these guys may be, you know, secretly one of us and they may have, you know, maybe reading Hodinkee and getting some vintage tastes going on. Like, and there's no vintage Richard Meals at this point. I mean, there may be some neo vintage, but yeah. those, you don't get those <laughs> aesthetics from, from anything that, that they've ever made. So I, I kind of wonder, I mean, yes, they're on a lot of the wrists. They, they, I think they have fewer sponsorship deals than they have in the past. What are they down to two or I know they at least have two. They used to have, I think three. Um, Cause I know they used to have Haas as well right. back in the day. Cause it was McLaren Haas and I think there was an overlap with Ferrari for a year, I want to say. Or maybe I know uh, Kimi was a Richard Meal guy, but like I know I've seen pictures of Leclerc in a Daytona or others. So I kind of kind of really wonder how much of this is the sponsorship angle that we see versus, you know, what are, what's actually in the collection. I, I mean, that, that goes for like for almost any celebrity, right? Like where you where you go like, well, sure. Like I like I think a lot of us saw a picture recently of Brad Pitt at a Breitling boutique that was published and he was wearing a Rolex. Right? And and I, I think that there there is that mix. Obviously, um Daniel Craig was occasionally photographed. He he was a collector of watches before becoming James Bond, which made him an Omega guy. And there's no like that's a that's a win win if you're a watch guy to be uh, affiliated with a brand like Omega, but also if you're a collector, you occasionally go out with something else and occasionally like Nicole Kidman gets in trouble for wearing a watch she's not supposed to be wearing in in public or whatever. Thankfully, that's not a world in which we have to live. We just you just wear what you want. But uh, in in my mind, it is Richard Mill. I think they've done I think they've done a really beautiful job of putting their name on things. And I do wonder if you ask someone who wasn't enthusiastic about watches, not to say they don't know about watches, but isn't like that's they come they come to Formula One for the racing, and they know about watches, and maybe they occasionally go like, "What's Oracle?" or whatever uh, is plastered on one of the other cars, like some business that isn't cigarettes or booze anymore. And <laughs> as it used to be, right? Yes. And, uh, that was and when now, it was good. <laughs> I mean, our, you're not wrong. Deliveries were better when, when the brands were trashier. Now it's like Google, Google wheels, which are kind of cool. I'm going to be honest, but like, it's not the same. It's not the same as it was with, uh, you know, JPS lotuses and, and stuff like that. But we've digressed in minutes, uh, seconds even. And, uh, I, I think that Richard Mill's done a really nice job of, of presenting the idea. And obviously tag has done a beautiful job, but tag's not new to that game. Tag came to that game naturally with the arc of their own company and the obsessiveness of of Jack Hoyer, right? And now we get to Richard Mill where they don't wear the watches during the race. And then somehow, you know, they're going for the microphone, their bottle of water, the hat, and somebody slips on the watch, right? 
and you see it. It's something if you want if you want to keep your eye out for it. You can see Leclerc get his. You can see Sainz get his. You can see Max get his. That kind of stuff. And it 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 is funny, but it also strikes me as a you know. I'm not sure the right word. I guess we'll call it a watch enthusiast, like disingenuous. But also, that's the marketing value of watches. It has to, like at the very top, it kind of has to be disingenuous because you just want your name in front of people. And my guess is, without the Formula One tie, I don't think Richard Mill is where they are today, just because you know one of the world's fastest man wore their watches. I don't think that's the same market, right? I don't even know if this is hot takey or not, but I think it'd probably piss off like a traditionalist and a, a motorsport sort of enthusiast. But I mean, doesn't 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 a Richard Mille sort of look like an F one watch? Oh, now? absolutely. I mean, no, don't get me wrong. Like sense. a classic yeah, chrono, a, an aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, a material science, an aesthetic. I mean, it just it just looks the part. I don't know. I mean, I also think from a from a marketing perspective, all the, the I don't know. I, I feel like I don't know if IWC was the first one to do it, but let's be real. The the spot on the glove is yeah, perfect. yeah, which Braymont's doing as well. It's it's Genius. absolutely perfect. And then um, my favorite Richard Mille moment was Lando Norris scratching his face because he had to get his watch on TV, and like the the. I think it was at a practice or whatever they were interviewing. And she's like, wait, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I just had to get the watch on TV because he's 19 and didn't know how to play it <laughs> Good off. Good for him. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, I, I get that there's the safety aspect of not having anything on in a Formula One car in case anything terrible happens. But if I'm remembering correctly, a Richard Meal did go through the Armco um, with Romain Grosjean. That watch went through the Armco with him from what I remember. I mean, he had his yeah, there on. You go. So, Maybe more of them which, are wearing than we think. Or than uh, yeah, I, I think. mean, yeah. I, well, it, I, I, I think realistically, you know, with every millisecond mattering, I feel like Richard Mille is the only watch you could probably get away with from a, a lightness perspective. But um, <laughs> I also get why you wouldn't want anything on in case you know something like going through an arm go happens. Like that's it's a it's a huge safety issue. I think that might be one of the reasons why they definitely aren't wearing them anymore. But I, I know that you, know, you can see. I, Oddly enough, you can see it in Drive to Survive. They pull him out, and it's very clearly on his wrist, which is terrifying. Mm -hmm. I think IWC's done a good job too. You have to give it to them um, between the the glove thing. So for those who, if you're, I don't know why you'd be listening to this uh, an hour and fifteen minutes in if you didn't like Formula One, <laughs> but they wear a glove, right? And and it's a tall, fire resistant glove that goes part way up their calf, and they they've kind of put a watch, a picture of a watch where loosely where the watch would be, which is clever. Uh, Braymont started doing a similar thing with Williams and, and Braymont is, is producing Williams watches uh, currently. And, and then of course you, they do this year, they did a Miami edition IWC, which is a, I want to say a QP in light blue, but it might've been a chronograph. I don't remember specifically. I think with, they did both the actually. They did both. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Um, but I think you have to give them credit um, for, for placing it and also for having a watch that compared to Richard Mill is attainable. From my standpoint, it's not realistic. I don't know why we don't have like a Seiko. Or well, know, I mean, like if, up like until if, like if Braymont can be in the mix, why wouldn't we why couldn't we do a, a brand that, that has a Seiko and they make an F one watch and that, that could be something that like a lot of people could attach to wear during the race, that sort of thing. Well, I think yeah, back in the um the maybe five years ago, I mean, and going back from there, probably 10 years prior, it was Casio edifice with Red Bull. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yep. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff is who do we think is the least sort of douchey watch guy closet behind the scenes 
you know, in the paddock. I have a feeling like if, if you were to think of like a deep cut, cool tool watch, um, and just, you know, pick something cool, like an, an old vintage Longines or an old Omega or something like that. Who do you think would be the person to wear that as opposed to some, you know, the, 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 the platinum, um, you know, whatever the, the super high, high dollar, you know, unobtainium watches. Now I got to think somebody like would Seb wear that would science wear that who's close who's like us. I mean, I, I want to believe it's someone like Seb or Alonzo just cause both of them seem very human, different types of humans for sure. But like very human and, and cool and have been in the sport for a while and, and kind of seem more like the athletes that haven't been corrupted necessarily by the process. Um, and obviously Seb's retirement was a whole thing last year and, and, and the rest of it, but yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I also kind of feel like a, like a Leclerc could have like a pretty solid box of watches at home in Monaco that he just doesn't get to wear while he, while he makes an incredible amount of money for the next, you know, decade or whatever. It's hard to say. I, I, I like your take on Seb because I feel like you, you, you look at the two, there's two different kind of classes of drivers. There's the folks who had the pedigree and came up with it. And then there's the folks who are, are kind of like your, your grassroots kind of racers like Seb was. I kind of look back at like, you know, we, we just watched the Michael Schumacher documentary not too long ago. Mm, you kind of look at good. his whole origin story and you, you kind of, you kind of get that whole vibe from Seb. Like he's just, he's just wired differently than a lot of these other guys. And it's, it's in a way it's kind of, it makes him even more human. Um, I, you know, that's one of the, he's one of the people I'm really going to miss just because he brought that very nonchalant, like tell it like it is. I, th- I think there's a German aspect to that too. I know you're spending a lot of, no question. spent yeah. a lot of time talking about how German watches are made in a particular way. Those humans are made in a particular way. And Seb is very just straightforward. Um, from that perspective, I think he's going to be greatly missed. Um, but yeah, I could see a Seb. I'm kind of with you on an Alonzo. I, I struggle with some of the folks who've been around it for a while. I mean, and then there's the whole aspect of, I, I know, I know Esteban didn't come from a lot. You know, I know, um, well, he's at Alpine now and he was at AlphaTauri and he won a race with AlphaTauri. Why am I blanking on the other French driver? Are you thinking of Gasly? Yeah. Pierre Gasly, as Danny Rick would I say. I could see Gasly, yeah, being into it. Yeah. For sure. Just, you, you just kind of get some some of the vibes from the guys who hey, they know they had to work to get there. And it's kind of like not being the first round draft pick. You know, you're, you're, you're there because you worked hard and you got you have something to prove, but you also in a weird way, I feel like some of those guys, even though they've reached the pinnacle, they, they want to tie to the roots because they, it's, it's what keeps them who they are versus some of the guys who are like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here because I, I should be, you know, it's a little bit different. I also feel like we're ending, we're getting to the very end of the formula one existence, which included drivers that had been on top gear. Yes. Which matters to someone who's my age quite, quite a bit. If I'm honest, that's how I knew Seb. That's how I knew Mark Weber who I've now met a couple times. I've never been less let down by a famous person. He's hilarious and really nice. And, 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 and then you get into Lewis and I feel like we'll get to a point where those types of interviews and driving the, the, the cheap car that's not around because they don't make it anymore. Like top gear is not what it is anymore or top gear has changed. I think it's fantastic today, but it's not the same. Yeah. Uh, It's a different thing. Um, and, and I do think that's a, that was my introduction to Formula One when, when I was younger, was through YouTube clips from Top Gear of 
the one of the fastest drivers in the world driving a Chevy Lissetti, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was great. It was great. And and like I, st- I wish they could recapture some of that. And like right now, if I was Seb's manager, if I was Formula One, if I was Sky, whatever Sky the company is called, Sky News, whatever, um, he needs a podcast. I want. I I would love to be able to live stream Seb talking about the race as the race as I watch the race on Formula One TV. I would pay as much as I pay to Seb. I would pay as much to Seb as I pay for Formula One TV to hear that go down. And he could bring in buddies. He knows all the buddies. He knows all the guys who have, <laughs> who just live in Monaco. You know, six point one months of the year uh, as it stands. And and I think it could be great. But I, I you know, it feels like there's a there's like a a big change coming as it, like uh, i feel like the the seb thing kind of marked uh the start of a generation where we don't have alonzo in the sport anymore eventually he tried once uh to be fair um but and, and then and then i feel like we'll, we'll enter a different territory where we don't have the same footnote of these people being real people and i think that makes some of the watch part of it like less fingertip less less uh, textualized contextualized maybe that's overthinking it but that's how i see it like with some of these guys who you got to see the funny interviews back in the day was and it now David today the, the equivalent of that oh man he was the paintballs out of the uh out of the exaust of the Renault into uh was it like richard hammond's nuts i think, I think like so that. yeah or a dummy of him yeah <laughs> yeah maybe watch 12 it years of been, top gear it might have been cgi <laughs> but that was yeah no i i know exactly what you mean that's a good point we need to start a petition we need but to draft the, the nice thing is like the, i don't know how like you guys are uh, like i'll say of a similar age to me like my first experience with top that's gear very was kind of you <laughs> but like like similar in terms of our you're like we were all at the same age of the internet Yes, we might be a few years apart. Whatever, I don't think that matters. But I remember the first YouTube thing I ever watched in my entire life was Clarkson in an Evo eight or nine. It would have been an eight, chasing a bright green Aventador. Uh, sorry, uh, Murcielago. Um, um, that's how, it, it, and and running it in the rain until the Murcielago spun. I don't remember who was driving. It was somebody sort of famous, and that was like the first YouTube. The first time I saw YouTube was that video. And I feel like it, YouTube brought so much car stuff to me. And part of that was drivers of the era after Senna, right? Uh, Senna and Schumacher. And I think podcasts have to kind of pick that up. Yeah. There are some great Formula One podcasts, to be fair. But I would love more from the guys who are a year or two out of the sport. Yeah, from your lips to God's ears, that would be rad. Right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, this might be a good time just to take a quick pause. We're going to probably continue to go for a little bit, but Mike, do you have to dip out or can you stay on for a few I, minutes longer? I do have to dip James. It was a pleasure. I appreciate you Man, guys. This has been on. so much fun. I, I'm looking forward to listening to whatever number of minutes I miss out on because I, I feel like we have to have this, we have to run this back at some point. This has been an absolute no, blast. Let's get, let's get a formula one iMessage or WhatsApp going. Oh, I would love to, I would love sure. to do that. That would sure. make oh, me that very be, happy. That would be fantastic on Sundays, but yeah, James, just to be clear, we're going to keep going for a few more minutes because we got no, one no, or two you're more. Good. In there I got lots of time. Yeah. I got to say but though, Mike, I'll make one. On. I'll make one quick prediction. I I think I think Red Bull is going to run it back, but I think Ferrari is going to make it a lot closer this year. All right, that's well, where well, I'm going. Let, let, let's talk points. Thirty points spread. I I'm hoping it comes down to the last two races. I think I think it'll be. Just, I, I don't think it'll happen points. on the last race. I don't think it'll be like 2021. 
but I Goodness, think I, I think I, I think we're talking. There, there might be some some unique math that could be done to maybe keep it around for the last race, but maybe the last two don't mean as much. But be good. It, it will for the constructors' championship. So there's there's all that mm-hmm. to race for. So I think that's where I think that's where we're going to end up. But gentlemen, it's Killer. been a pleasure. In, enjoy the rest of the conversation. I can't wait to hear it when this drops. Michael, this has been great. It's awesome. Thank. See you, Spence. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. So just to kind of uh, to kind of put a bow on that. So I think it would be amazing, actually, if we could in some way, um, you know, tap into the expertise and the experience of the drivers that are young enough to be relevant to people, you know, who are kind of our our age or, you know, plus or minus and who are good raconteurs. Like Jensen Button is a great get for Sky. Oh, man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's super cool. He's somebody I imagine you're event if you haven't already, you're gonna run into in Southern California. I've never met him, but I mean I think he's now that he's kind of involved with that uh that Lotus offshoot thing that he's doing. Yep, with it's only a matter of time before you see him at stuff, you know, or or at cars and coffee around here or whatever. I don't go to those, but Greg's got a Corvette, so maybe he does. <laughs> I haven't what been since the last Corvette? time we all went. It's a C six. Ooh, tidy. I like it. Yeah, yeah. We've uh We've enjoyed it for a long time. Actually, it's we've had it for for its entirety of its life, and so uh, I'll never let it go. What uh, what spec? It's totally base. Okay. And you're what color? White. It's uh, a okay. white with the uh, you know the the coupe you know convert uh, you know convertible top or not convertible top but the uh, hard top. Oh, the hard, top, the yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice. Well, James, one of the questions that Michael wanted to talk to, like ask about or talk about, I don't know if it's a question per se, but a couple of years ago, you had that awesome piece um, come out, or maybe it was even a series of pieces, but where you were talking about the the Tag Heuer release, you know, one of the Monaco releases where you went to Monaco. I think a lot of people would say, and maybe, you know, that iHeart fans would disagree, but I mean, Monaco is historically anyway, has been one of maybe the sort of crown jewel of the series in terms of the glitz, the glamour, just the, you know, the hype and the spectacle, you got to go check that out. Do you have any particular like killer impressions or fond memories of that? What was that experience like? It was an incredible experience. Yeah. So I, you know, as as things go in the watch industry, I was a guest of Tag Heuer. They essentially have like a small cruise ship in the bay in Monaco. I mean, when I say small, like compared to a a genuine cruise ship, it is actually small. It, It hosts a number of guests. Um, but it gives you this great access. And we were there for the 50th anniversary of the Monaco uh, in Monaco. And so this would have been like, you know, pretty, pretty largely like it was definitely the, the, the season before COVID kicked off in earnest. You know, this would have been May 2019. And we just did the dispatches. So I went, I, I shot a bunch of photos you know, you meet you meet some celebrities and and that kind of thing. You know, I'm I'm largely indifferent to the celebrity world, although there are major uh, exceptions, of course. Um, but we we had a great time. the The race is vastly better on your television. It's like UFC. It's way better to just watch it. I mean, if you get a chance in your life to go to Monaco and walk around, it's one of the weirdest places. It has a, a certain charm. Um, and and we got to get in like a Renault of some type and get driven around the track, which if you're me is a little bit tough. Cause you just, you, you would have preferred to put down one. I would have preferred to crash somebody else's car on that track <laughs> compared to, uh, 
being driven around it but you know you, you take what you can get for sure uh but no i mean the the hospitality from tag horror is incredible obviously um uh, it was it was a a big year for the growth of red bull um and and their dominance that we're now seeing now and we had i had a great time you know uh, there was a handful of other you know of our our kind of watch uh world colleagues uh frank elan from monochrome and 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 that sort of thing and and lots of great watches and and obviously it's it's monaco incredible cars and a chance to take some really fun photographs so as far as my world goes it's it doesn't even qualify as work uh you're just out as long as your batteries are charged you're good just keep moving try try and keep the caffeine going and you'll be okay but i I highly recommend i recommend going to any race you can get to um that was the only time that i've been to a formula one race i've been to formula one four times four races and that's the only time i've ever been to race day usually the the press junket is either uh practice on friday or qualifying on saturday yeah full disclosure i've never been to a race i've only been to uh indycar events and formula one is something i just haven't done yeah i mean we used to my i used to work for fedex back in the day and we were a principal sponsor oh yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. which is different but um very similar i mean it was kind of cart at that time was kind of like if you could you know have a mashup between the the indycar and formula one and there was you know a lot of big names um and that was uh greg that was at you know uh, long beach here we would do that year after year and that was that's a great tough track Yeah. yeah We were just down there the other day and I was talking about wanting to go down to just check out the Long Beach uh, Grand Prix anyway. Yeah, maybe we'll do that this year. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'm curious as to whether or not uh, Miami, to the extent that it stays on the calendar for a number of years, will eventually kind of equal or eclipse Monaco for the spectacle. I think it has the potential to do that in a way that other places maybe don't. Uh, I think it depends on... on I think it depends on the the type of people you're trying to appeal to. Monaco's appeal is because they won't remove it. And so it defies safety, it defies passing, it defi- like it is it is the legacy that we all have to deal with. It's like I, I I don't know, like let's say you're a painter and you use an old brush and an old um you know thing to paint on. Clearly I'm out of my depth when it comes to art, but um <laughs> that that's the world in which you have to operate for that weekend. And it's so limiting, but there's something really cool. I think as a, as a, a, a fan of the sport. And, and I think that's what formula one's getting used to is the idea that there are that many fans and that they can service the fans directly rather than indirectly where, you know, the great driver of the past might've been the more direct connection. But I think as a fan of the sport, I, I, I do think that it's an interesting thing where, you have you have the ability to see so many years run on this track just by going to YouTube or 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 elsewhere, right? To see when it was still stick shift, to see when it was still a V10, to see you know the years where people you know not to glorify it, but to the years where it was legitimately dangerous. And I think that's a big thing that I appreciate the sport now is that it's pretty hard to die as a Formula One driver. Um, which I think is, is worth commenting, especially if you go back and watch BBC had a great documentary a few years ago called Formula One, the death years, the danger years. What, not that hard to find, whatever the title was, I'm blanking on it. But um, 
it used to be an incredibly dangerous sport, as dangerous as you could imagine. And they've come a long way. And the fact that they still run in Monaco to me is so charming because it puts a modern car in the photographs of a setting that I know from 1960, 1965, 1970. Like, and, and, and I think the sport needs that context. It's a bit like, like I, again, I'm going to talk outside my depth as much as I did with, with painting, but like, you know, playing the World Series at a small, you know, a, a stadium that, that was made a long time ago, right? Whether it's in Boston or, or, or whatever. And, and I think that matters because not everything can be new and it can't all be spa. It can't all be Bahrain. The, 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 the spread is important. Yeah. Yeah. It's like seeing a, a game at old Wrigley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. That's maybe that's yep, what yep. I was searching for. Well, then as a kind of a segue from that question, if knowing what you know about the, the different venues that are out there now, I mean, if you could go see a race at any venue, just, you know, pick one, where would you want to go see? Hmm. Of the the current tracks, the twenty three yeah, that yeah, are going to run yeah. this year, or or that they've run in recent years. Yeah. Hmm. Probably Spa. I'd I'd like to see Spa. Um, I'd like to drive Spa. Obviously, I think everybody would. But um, yeah, probably probably I'd like to catch a race at Spa. You know, I I miss the days when they ran the Formula One track at Nurburgring, and. Uh, Singapore would be another one. I, I think that that track is just physically grueling. And especially if you do Singapore in the rain, that's probably a pretty fascinating experience. But it would also depend on your access and why I'm there. Like if I'm there to take photographs, that's a different concept. If I'm there just to hang out and watch Formula One, I, I am still that weirdo who's like, I could get a better view from my couch at home with the projector. And uh, and, and I know may, maybe that's sacrilege. Um, but, but certainly like, I, I don't feel a big impetus to get back to say, um, circuit of the Americas as I've been there a couple times. And, and I, I love watching the races. I love the fact that you stand it. If you have a certain level of access, which I've been appreciated in the past, you stand right above the paddocks. So the cars leave from below you and then they fire to life. And it's a really special, like if you, if, if you're into that zone, like it's, it's a pretty special thing to see them leave and. Yeah. hold on the limiter all the way up the hill and then rip out and 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 come by at whatever speed and the rest of it um but yeah i, I would think probably spa I'd, lo- I'd love to see a modern formula one car especially one without porpoising which they're attempting to promise or mitigate in 2023 like hit eau rouge essentially flat out right and and really see what the tires are built for on a sunny day like that that's a special thing that's a that's a you like if you like cars and you like racing and the rest of it like in the globe that's one corner that people know which i think is fun so greg not to put you on a spot but do you know what he's talking about that that circuit that turn yeah i do actually and they yeah, just so, built a new grandstand so the view's never been better yeah i'm not saying this because you're you know, a, a guest and watch writer hero or whatever, but spot by a mile would be my first choice followed by, cool, I think, right? su- followed by Suzuka. Oh, so, yeah, that's a good call. That's a good call. I let that one slide. You know, I, ironically though, Singapore would be right up there because again, the spectacle, like even if the race sucked, like, I mean, you know, what the, a cool the, town, right? The food and yeah, yeah, just the, the, the people watching and stuff like that. You know, Singapore is basically the Monaco of Asia. 
So I'm going to take a different route. I looked at the current calendar, and I'm going to do the um, the Mexico City uh, event. Oh, that's a good call. Just because yeah. it's going to be so much fun, and then I'm going to I'm going to bounce down to Oaxaca right afterwards for Dia de los Muertos, and sort of just make a whole trip out of the whole thing. So that's that's the route I took. Oh, yeah, that's so, a great, great choice. The, the week, the so for a long time, my list has been um, Tokyo, which I've never been to, and Mexico City. I've been to Mexico several times, just not Mexico City, but I hear amazing things. Great city. Uh, it's it's some of my favorite food in the whole world. Um, I, I had the the opportunity to be on a dive boat for some time with a bunch of fellows that uh, were either born there or lived there as kind of expats, and couldn't. I've never heard people praise a city as much. And to have a Formula One race and also a Formula Formula One race with a driver, yeah. uh, with a Mexican driver makes it even better. And and that is a cool race for sure. Uh, I, I, I would definitely, definitely uh, co-sign on that. I mean, uh, is there a bad one to go to? I don't know. They're all going to be fun. They're all going to be a party. You're all going to be with your people. Right. And now, now the people are even more like the numbers were insane. I would Silverstone, I think would probably be wild. Oh yeah. I mean, that's right? the, the, the high church of formula yeah. one is, but I mean, I don't it, think there's a bad one. Yeah. If, you, if, if there's one that happens in your area, and granted, I'm saying this as a, a Canadian who'd never been to Montreal for the race, uh, but if there's one in your area and you can afford to go to it, it I think it, I think it, it it's a great experience. Uh, I, I recommend. Yeah, totally. We'll have to put that on the bucket list. Well, man, I um, I do say though that you're kind of waxing. You know, uh, I don't even know what the word is, but it's so positively about Mexico and, and Mexican food and stuff. I I'm love like, Mexico. Yeah, you gotta, I miss it. We got to definitely hook up back channel next time you're you're working in Southern California because me and Greg can take you to the best spots for, uh, well, for good Mexican for sure. food and, and tequila and good beer. Um, all right. So I think we're just about done. Do you mind? You, can we throw you a few softballs? Yeah, I'm, I got you for however long you want. I'm here. Right on. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, once I don't know that you'd remember this, so I don't I don't want to put you on the spot. But back during, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated the uh, isolation tapes during COVID. I was mm. out of my house for about right. two or three months while my house was being renovated, and I I moved out like a week before everything got locked down. So I mean, I was in a sure. hotel, and then you know we went into quarantine, and then I went to my in laws for literally like two months really stressful, but I sent in a, uh, an email with a question. Do you regret any watches, the ones that got away? And at the time mm. you said something to the effect of, you know, not really, I don't, I don't regret anything. Do you still kind of stand by that? Is there anything you'd like to have back? Hmm. Let me re- rethink that one. I mean, the, the genuine truth is like, no, because like you could you could go back and get any of these. I've never owned something so special that it's ungettable. I'm a pretty casual, like from a buyer standpoint, pretty casual watch enthusiast. I like sport watches and they don't have to be expensive. Um, I, I, you know, I like a, I like more of a vibe than a, a flex in, in many scenarios. Um, you know, probably the one that that comes up pretty frequently in my mind is my Zen 144 STGMT. But I could just get another. But the fact is, they're about two and a half x the price when I from when I sold mine. And I probably should have just held on to that watch. I mean, it was I had I had like found I had searched I bought two or three ones that didn't work, and I found one that was right for the bracelet. So it was like it looked like a proper Porsche design, like Orfina feel, all steel. It was the black, uh, like not the Lufthansa version. 
Um, and, and, and that was a pretty solid watch. But other than that, I feel like anything I let go, I could, I could just turn around and buy another one. Like if, if it was, if it was that dire, like you sell, you sell some, just like I would have sold that one to buy something else. Um, I, I could sell something and buy that one back conceivably. How about you? Well, for me, it would still be the the thing I think I mentioned in that email, which is that uh, I had a one one six seven ten that I sold with the intent of rebuying a year later, and I sold it at the end of mm, no, I remember, yeah, yeah, okay, beginning of twenty eighteen, and I knew the money would come back to me, so I'd be like, okay, in a year or two, I'll just buy it back. I didn't want to take money out of a four hundred one k or something like that. I needed sure, for something, yeah, of course not, a, a family watch. emergency. Yeah, so I just figured, okay, I'll do this, and you know, sure enough, the money came back to me, and I just could not swallow the idea of dropping like 10 or 11 G's for something that cost me five. Yeah. And I, I ended up getting, I went blank pawn instead. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm both like, I'm, I'm in line with your thinking on how to buy a watch. I'm in line with your thinking of like not stomaching a price and I like the brand that you went with. And <laughs> so I think you made the right choice. I think you're okay. I also think that like the world will all, the GMT master is ubiquitous, but also it'll be there in ubiquity uh and and there will be a time where they aren't necessarily as uh you know to quote my grandmother as dear as they are now um but uh, yeah i i feel you that those are also really nice watches <laughs> i have several colleagues who that's like their one that's they have other watches but that's the one yeah yeah how about you greg is there anything you yeah how about back? you greg I've never really let that much go. Um, that, see, that's smart. You talk to guys who are really deep in, they never sell anything. <laughs> then you never have to feel this way. The one thing, I, I guess if I had to pick one, I um, <clears throat> it, was one of, it was probably the first Swiss watch I bought. I had a Tissot uh, P, P200, PR200, some one of their or like entry-level chronographs. <clears throat> and at the time, I bought the quartz version instead of the automatic. And... Um, I just think it would be cool to have that back. Um, at the time, it was sort of consolidated to buy up to something um, with some other things. And so there's a little bit of nostalgia to it. But other than that, like you, to your point, James, I could, I'm could, i sure I could literally buy it on eBay tomorrow for not even what I paid for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you don't go too deep into the world, then nothing ever is really out of your reach. You just have to sacrifice something else. Yeah. But I agree. Like I, I'm, I'm definitely not in the mode of like uh, seeing my watches as part of my retirement or, or, or the rest of it. They're, it's just fun, and, and, and it continues to be fun. At this point, I'm, I couldn't be more blessed to say that it's like all also my, my living. Um, but I could go down to a couple watches if I was forced to, for sure. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, and you've talked about that before, right? Like if you sort of pulled out of the quote unquote, you know, world, you would probably sure. just go to just a few things and be quite happy and content with it. Yeah, I mean, the, these days I would say, you know, and my, my Explorer 2, um, 16570, and uh, like something like a Pelagos 39, I, I could be good. Yeah. it Like it leaves some holes. How do you live without a Seiko? Right? <laughs> I don't or, know. <laughs> or a Halios or, uh, or, or, you know, some of the more interesting stuff. I have some weird vintage stuff that I really like, like a gold tone or gold vintage stuff that I really enjoy. But like that's more just for the fun of it. And if, yeah. and if the fun was dragged out of the the experience then yeah you just need a great watch and and there's a lot out there from 200 bucks up yeah i think that's right and that's one of the nice things i think that makes it academic when we talk about seiko in this type of you know scenario uh, whatever whatever they're calling an skx now whether it's 
you know, the 5KX or, or whatever, yeah. but whatever is the, that equivalent, even though the prices are kind of creeping up, I mean, that's still the kind of thing you can have a lot of fun with one or two of those in a collection without having ever, you no know, question. Uh, yeah, dropped a lot on. And, and the same applies to G-Shock and, and other stuff too, so. Yeah, right I've on. had friends come to me and do the do the like what what do you recommend? You say like oh Seiko five like one of the pilots, the SRPDs that the uh, SNX uh, stuff, and some of them never move on to something else. That's their watch. You see them a year later and they're wearing it and it's awesome and I love yeah. it. And others you see them a year later and they're thirty watches in. And you're like all right, cool dude, <laughs> cool cool cool. Let's do it. <laughs> Tell I have a coworker. References. I have a coworker who's like that. Like, you know, two years ago, he was a normie and now he's mm-hmm. one of us. I'm like, dude, what did you do? Yeah. Hey, there are way worse hobbies, right? Yes, there yeah, are. Yeah, Cars need sure. a garage, insurance, like space. You need a sock drawer and a decent a decent home insurance policy for, <laughs> for a bunch of watches. <laughs> That's it. Well, do you have a favorite cocktail? Um, not much for cocktails. I mean, um, oh, I, I mean, let, let me, on a hot day in the summer when I, I wouldn't necessarily want a bourbon, um, I don't have a name for it. It's a, a gin and tonic, a decent gin. I, I like a botanist or a monkey if you can, if you've got it. Um, and or sorry, uh, soda. I prefer soda to gin. And then I mm-hmm. do mold cucumber and uh, Ooh, that's cracked good. black pepper Ooh, uh, with as much ice. Pepper. I put it in a bigger glass with more ice, so it gets like it's screaming cold. And I'm I'm on board. Wow, I don't think I've ever that, done that. Close, yeah. That sounds really good. I, th- I think the only time I've ever put pepper in a cocktail is probably for a Bloody Mary. So you've got my attention. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that that's kind of my zone. Otherwise, I find most cocktails way too sweet. Yeah. Um, uh, typically, you know, I, 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 I had my dalliances with uh, um, Manhattans and Old Fashions. And uh, what's the one that ever, the one that's like, like guy with beard Kool-Aid? Negroni. Negroni, thank you. Yes, yeah, Negroni. yes. And, and that's a, they're delicious. That's, I'll they have are. one absolutely if it's a sunny day, one whatever. But like, I can't, I can't do more than one. I, at that point, my teeth hurt, and I need a glass of water. <laughs> Greg, we have to add, we have to add the Negroni to the Watch Dilettante starter yes. kit. Yes, it belongs there. Well, now it's the Spagliato. I, I don't even know what that is. That's the one. So instead of one of the three things that are split into thirds for a, a Negroni, it's um. Champagne, maybe? Oh, am I getting okay. that wrong? I'm missing. I, I let's Google this before I, I make my. You can tell I'm not a, a, <laughs> a cocktail guy. Hold on. No, no, that um, was that was that was a good pull. I don't think we were even on the on the tip for that. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, we're going to get a, a built-in recommendation here, or at least you know a suggestion. I know. Um, oh, I, so sorry, prosecco, prosecco, uh, mm-hmm. replacing the gin and carbonated water. Got it. Oh God, yeah. So that's easier drinking Negroni, Let, less, um, less sugar, less kind of weight to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I confess I, as cliche as it is, I will drink Negroni, but I do tequila yeah, why Negroni not? and mezcal Negroni. It's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. All good. Well, Hey Greg, do you have any, uh, any fun softballs you want to throw out there? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, it's just so much fun to be talking to James sort of like in a two way in this way, like we've, you know, exchanged messages and emails and, and, uh, you know, you guys have the Slack message, you know, the Slack group going now on TGN. So there's been sort of like a two way, but to be able to sit here and, and, uh, talk, you know, you know, one-to-one and four to one or whatever, it's been a lot of fun. So, uh, we're just super stoked on it. What do you, what do you guys, are you, if you have five more minutes, like what, what are you guys watching? What, what's on your radar for watches? What are you excited about? For watches? Oh man. Yeah. 
you know, um, so a Zen is always a brand I like at this time sure. of year. And I, you know, I think I mentioned actually at the beginning, I did say this, right. That, you know, I have a, a 103 yeah. incoming. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's sort of like their, their apex predator. You know, it's a, basically a dive capable, even though it's not a dive watch, but I mean, in terms of the depth rating on the thing, rotable bezel chronograph with what I think is really one of the most elegant, you know, it's, it's collar, but it's one of the most elegant sort of ways to display another time zone. And that is yeah, that still super useful. Yeah. That identical hand. I had a, uh, yeah. a three, five, six UTC. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And sold that to a friend here, sort of in our local group. And I, I do miss that watch. I regret that watch because it's such a great format. And, you know, I figured, okay, if I ever replace it, do I want to go one for one? Because I did regret it. And do I want to go one for one or maybe just as long as I'm waiting, get just the next sort of thing up in terms of functionality? It's a little better. Sure. So I love Zen. Um, Quick question. And maybe you said it, my apologies if you did. Is it an sure. ST, a Diapel, or an SA? It's the, um, it's the titanium diapal. So the, the diapal, yeah. Tidy. Yeah. So that's, I, that's going to be a new good word, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, um, I'm looking forward to getting that. That should be, that should be a lot of fun. I think that's a good, uh, I have a habit and maybe a bad habit as a collector of amassing a collection of potential one watches. And eventually, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, but they they all start to look like watches I could wear every day, and you know, Mm -hmm. I yeah, I'm like I don't I don't I have like twenty everyday watches and not one dress watch Mm -hmm. or whatever. But the other brand that I really like in terms of just kind of watching to see what they do in this past few weeks has just been really cool. Um, I know some people are disappointed. I'm not, and that is I I really like Blanc Pond Divers. Oh, me too, dude. That's probably like I'm I'm right on the edge of a Pelagos 39. Probably get it tomorrow. Oh, um, okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped. I, I wanted to get all my writing done and then buy it. Um it, f- it felt disingenuous to do it somewhere in the mix. Um so ho- hopefully and I waited some time, you know. I, I I asked when the day it came out if I could if I could try and get on a list or whatever at a retailer and I think tomorrow. We'll see if it works out. Hopefully tomorrow. And um, I I, th- I feel like my next move would be buying nothing for a long time, selling a bunch of stuff, and uh, kind of upward consolidating into a yeah. fifty fathoms. That'd be amazing. We just had um, when when does this episode come out? You know, I, we haven't within a week or so. Sure. Yeah, okay, I would so. think soon. We want to have this out, you know, Before relatively quickly, and we'll yeah, probably do it as a bonus episode because it's a little bit you know, a little bit outside of our normal wheelhouse, but this is inside baseball, but we, we recorded with a brand today also. Okay, cool. So we just, we'll probably do this first and then that. Yeah. So we, we just did, um, and so it'll come out the day after we're recording this tomorrow. Um, but we did, uh, our second kind of chat with Laurent Balesta of the Gumbessa projects. Who's a, uh, you know, a key, component of Blanc Pond's dive watch strategy and the new uh, 50 Fathoms Tech Gumbessa. And uh, honestly, I want I want a Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms because of him. He's such a he's such a, a like a legit hero in that he's like part artist, part scientist, part adventurer, and likes watches and has now patented a watch complication. Uh, I just, I, I feel like I can't, you can't go much further than that. And I, yeah, there's a point where like, I would love to 
at some point it doesn't have to be anytime soon um but someday i'd like i'd like to have a blanc pond for sure so I, I feel you for sure yeah that's hero level i yeah. um well let me ask you do you think are you would you lean you know traditional 50 fathoms or bathys gaff uh for me it's everything with blanc pond comes down to the size so if right. if i can find something around 40 that's not polished i'm in uh, my problem with the bathys gaff is, is specific and nerdy as, as I want to be, but, um, it, it's the 4:30 date placement. Sure. It, I'm not a huge fan of, but otherwise I really, really like the watches. I, I probably, I mean, I, there's no way I could afford it, but like Hodinkee did a Bathus Gaff LE a few years back. Of which course. Was, I mean, gone like that. Yeah. Which was really lovely. And Heaton has one of those and it's killer. Um, so may, maybe there's something like that in the future, or, I Dude, mean, I, it's also the, the 70th anniversary of the Blanc Pond this year and they're two, two phases in. So one of them is the Act Two, which they're calling the the which they're calling the Act Two, but it's the Gambessa Tech, and there was a previous one. So we'll see. Maybe they might release something later in the year that in you know five six years I could I could pick up at some point. Is the nice thing about watches is you can be very patient. Yes, hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Although that's been, I think the problem too, right? That a lot of people who are newer to the game sort of the the lack of patience you know, what it's doing on the, on the economics side of things, but you know, who cares? That's in, in brands that I don't usually play in anyway, I, except for my, comes, it comes out in the wash. Yeah. And, but yeah. with your GMT, yeah, that, that is the, that is a good example of when like the patient element costs you because that, that watch was popular right. when you sold it and then it became like red hot. Mega popular. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, and, and that's kind of just life essentially. Yeah. Especially in this weird world of like Veblen, you know, watches and that none of the pricing makes sense to begin with. And like, if look, if I get to a point where I can afford a Blanc Pond, I've succeeded way beyond where, you know, young James uh, ever, <laughs> ever thought he would get to. But who knows? Maybe you get there someday. It's always nice to shoot for something um, and, and have that on the list. And if it doesn't happen, that's OK, too. I mean, it, it is all things considered just a watch. Uh, it's, it's not going to change my life. It'll just make me kind of happy. So. That's such a good attitude. It's a healthy attitude. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's such an insular community. Sometimes, I mean, I think that's yeah, a great community. It's a great community, and sometimes yeah. there's a little bit of you know some myopic views on how to oh, sure. clean things or when or how often or so. It's 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 refreshing to sort of say, hey, you know, this is what it is. Yeah, the watch community thing is is it's been tough the last couple of years because we had an, an incredible influx of interest, and those folks brought in a different tone. And back in the day when there was a big influx, we all had to learn how to use Watch You Seek and Time Zone and get berated by the the <laughs> OGs. The, and I mean berated in a good way, but like you learn to kind of fall in line and communicate a certain way, whether it was on Watch You Seek or Time Zone or TRF or Omega Forums or whatever it was. All of them had their own kind of vibe. And now like Instagram's kind of the, the like umbrella. And I'm, my vibe is more like I want... I want to know where the water running off the umbrella lands. Cause that's where, that's where it's going to be the most fun. And that's kind of why we did like the TGN slack and, and where I still think watch you seek is valuable and, and, and having in, in the Hodinky comments, which can be vicious at times, but never not honest, like never not portraying somebody's raw opinion, which I still think is valuable. So yeah, I, I think, you know, watch enthusiasm has gone through a, a growth spurt. And now we're, we're marking our, you know, the top of our heads on the wall and, and, and kind of seeing 
where everything stands now that crypto has kind of slowed down and, and some of the auction stuff has kind of slowed down and the rest of it. So I think it's been great largely. Um, but it's also been fast. If you're used to slow watches, the last few years were really fast. That bit just gave me like this perfect visualization in my head of sort of my great grandfather's garage. And he used to mark our height yeah, of on course. the door frame. Right. And so you just saw this, like you said, this quick growth and it just, it just is what it is. And, you know, understanding that is helpful. Yeah. I mean, you see that quick growth on the wall and as an adult, you look at it and you go like, well, that person's shins hurt for six months. Like every, every night they went to bed, their legs and their feet hurt because their bones are stretching. And I think like watches, bones are kind of stretching. And, and I think from an enthusiast world, we're coming to terms with what Instagram is. We're coming to terms with what kind of happened with object fascination during the, the everything bubble of COVID. Um, but I, I think it's all for the good. I, I don't think everyone will last in the enthusiasm of it. Um, you know, I don't think you, you look at the automotive side and like, Rolls-Royce and Lamborghini and all these brands had their best year ever last year or the year before. And like, that's not going to continue. We, you can look at that at any brand. Um, and, and I think the, the people who are in this because it's fun will continue to find fun places. I, I think, you know, the r slash watches on Reddit is, is fun and keeps themselves super honest. And I, I, I like that they, that they, they attempt to level the playing field for everyone. Um, which I think is, is, is a good thing in this world as well. So, yeah. but between podcasting and, and a few of these sources, I think shows like yours and, and the rest of it is, are all really valuable in just allowing people to connect with something that's a little bit intangible, especially at a time when people have trouble connecting. Which was sort of the genesis, Matt, right? When you sort of said, hey, let's do this as sort of that watch happy hour when people can't really do Perfect. it at this time. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. You know, we had, um, we have a, a couple of friends in, in the space, you know, making mm-hmm. the, the air quotes, but, um, you know, that have done pods and we'd obviously, at least from my perspective, I mean, I think, uh, I had a lot a very long commute for a long time. And so I could listen to two or three, you know, long format podcasts every day and, you know, kind of, I was a voracious consumer and TGN was, you know, right up there. So it was one of those things where it's like, hey, if we could do something that's different but adjacent, or if there's something that's still sort of, you know, on the table. And I mean, I think one of the things literally on a cocktail napkin kind of notes that Greg and I talked about was, you know, Jason and James, like, you know, the first couple episodes, if they had something poured, they talked about it for a minute. Well, most yeah, yeah, of us, in reality, when we get together in real life, you know, in, in groups beyond two or three people, chances are there's some something in a glass you know, we're probably at a bar or at a restaurant or something like that. Let's, let's talk about that. So for sure, yeah, that was, that was our, our little happy hour format Genesis. Uh, yeah. I but, see all the watch blogs as the same bar, just different tables and you get to just move yeah. between them. This is like, we all, we all kind of get, get our, get our, get our chance to, to put something out in the world. And if you hate it, like, goodness, that's awesome. Go, go move, you move <laughs> to the next table. That's how parties work. <laughs> Enjoy the party, not the, not the table for sure. Yeah, that's right. It's easy. It's a little too easy to focus on some of the negativity. I mean, we did a whole episode last year Always. on what was it, any port in a storm and just how to avoid maybe the hype train or if you feel like you're you're weighted down too much. I mean, we could get you into know, the hype thing for another hour. Um, oh, I yeah. think it's been really one of the hardest things about being a watch enthusiast is like, even if you have money, you can't necessarily buy what you're, you're pumped about. Um, but also that the idea that money co-opted the concept of enthusiasm which I'm not about at all. Um, yeah. I, I just like appreciation. There's a lot of stuff that I like that I will never own. Um, 
and and I think that's okay. But uh, there's definitely um, a lot of pressure from the industry for ownership, and especially for ownership of things that are unownable. If I can, you know, use a very awkward term, and that and that rubs me the wrong way as someone who just got into watches because they didn't really have a choice. They were kind of um, a, a, a general list of interests led me to this hobby, and, and it's been very rewarding, and it's it's full of beautiful people and the rest of it. So it's been a pleasure, uh, of course, and and we'll keep grinding out, and I'm sure you guys will, and it'll come out in the wash. Uh, you know, these things ebb and flow, and I think we're just we're in the middle between an ebb and a flow. Yeah, well, we'll we'll definitely, uh, I think, have to end on that note because that's about as positive as it gets. I think, and <laughs> sometimes I, I get there. Yeah, no, I think. Well, you know what? I mean, not to circle back on something that was slightly negative, but I think that was probably the very best, most succinct way I've ever heard it put in the past year. But basically, you know, what was it? Money co-opted enthusiasm, mm-hmm. and it's you know, it's it's a little too easy, you know, for people who've been in the hobby for a long time to just get you know, down in the mouth about that stuff. But on the other hand, there's so many different, as you say, different tables in the bar, just move to a different table. Check them all out. Check them all out. You'll find, you'll find your conversation. You're not meant to be friends with everyone in the world. And that includes Jason and I, and that includes you guys. And and that's okay. Like none none of us, I I don't think that any of us got into podcasting with watches because we wanted to be celebrities. Uh, <laughs> uh, just because it's kind of fun to talk with a buddy about watches, or or occasionally with with somebody like a like a Laurent Balesta or otherwise. But um, yeah, no, I, I would say there's there's out there, and and I would also say if you get to the end and there's no table, that's your hint to make your own table, and I'll I'll, I'll give you a listen. Uh, you know, it's very easy to start a podcast, and I think we could do more in this world. Well, as usual, James is way more eloquent than us, and I can't imagine an ending on a more poignant way of phrasing all that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I um, I think this has been amazing. We've definitely broken a record for length, so we've got to have you know That's have a little to. talk after. <laughs> That's what she said. That's it. But um, I'm sorry, I just saw the. Uh, uh, Adam Sandler comedy special. That's a, a sure. through line through his jokes. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I had to go there. We have an explicit content on the on the back of the podcast. Anyway, um, yeah, this has been phenomenal. We're over two hours now. We'll have to figure out if we're going to break this up into two or not, but maybe we'll just let it go as a megasode because I think people are going to dig it. And at the end of the day, this has been super great. And I'm really glad we were able to really kind of make good on this, James. It feels like, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but we you know, been in the same orbit for a while and to, for sure, you know, to make it, to make it work has been special. This has been great. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I think I'm a tough guy to pin down for a schedule, uh, and, and, and our, our Instagram backlog can attest to that, but I, it's been a pleasure to get on and chat with you guys. I, I'm sorry that it can be a little bit tough to, uh, to find a time to do it, but this has been super fun. I, I hope people enjoy it. If not, uh, you know, roast me in the comments. It, it's okay. That's all fair. <laughs> Post me in the comments. That's a good well, one. Even, Go even better, we don't we don't have comments. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm free and clear. You can't do nothing to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll can't we'll talk me. about it. Yeah. We'll we'll go and we'll roast you behind your back on Slack. Oh wait, you That's see fair. all that. No. Well, I mean, I, that, I I get the biggest heat and love from from the TG and Slack crew. They keep me honest for sure. I love it. Nothing can be worse than the comments in any Vermont article at, at Hodinkee. That's, that's the worst. Hey, I, I remain a big fan of the brand and, Me too. Uh, and I'll, I'll continue covering the stuff I like when they make it. So they, they keep doing good stuff. Awesome. Well, you cool, guys, guys, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and hit the stop button, but I, let's have this be the last sip. I'm going to say cheers to both of you. Cheers. cheers. Salute.
We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at spiritoftimepodcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.